And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Can't believe that ump called a perfect game last night. Was that the first one ever, technically? I, I think it's the... Well, since uh, 2015 or whenever it was that they uh, started. All right. I was going to try to think of like a way to make a right-hand, left-hand quote joke with like uh, right sure. ear track, left ear track. Yeah, I'm not clever tough. enough to come up with that one, though. So... It is. Hello and welcome to the Great Movies Podcast, a retrospective film review show where we watch and discuss the movies covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I am Dylan Quare. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Nick Fulton. And today we're going to take a journey into the South and discuss The Night of the Hunter. It's the day before Halloween. This will be releasing a couple days after Halloween. This feels like the time to do this. I can't believe how well this lined up in... We're doing right. Nosferatu next, too, so it's really yep. awesome the the time period we're hitting these on. Mm-hmm. So, Nick, you had seen Night of the Hunter before, correct? Yeah, I've seen it two or three times before. Uh, very cool movie. Very cool. I'm a big fan of all, all of uh, Charles Lawton's directed films, i got to say. <laughs> they, were all, uh, he, they were all bangers. He's batting 100%. You mean? Better a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jana, you hadn't seen this movie, correct? I had not, no. Um, I saw it for the first time last night. Good movie. So, how did the movie compare to what your expectations of it were? I mean, I was pretty familiar with it, you mm-hmm. know, living in the world. Um, so I knew, I had seen some of the imagery before. Um, I knew about the right hand, left hand thing, um, and that it was basically this, like, scary guy who maybe wanted to kill some kids. Um, so, but it was still, it was, it was more, I don't know, innovative is the right word I want, but more impressionistic, more innovative. Like, it was less straightforward than I was expecting, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I I found that there was more to it than maybe I I was expecting there to be. Um, so I think the look more than anything is what surprised me since i was pretty familiar with what the plot was were you f- were you complete sorry Nick. Oh, i think we're probably gonna ask the same question which mm-hmm. is like were you familiar at all with the imagery of the movie not really i mean i'd seen like robert mitchum in it you know mm-hmm. so i knew it was like black and white and robert mitchum's kind of scary looking and the kids are cute um and i'd seen the op- that opening the the really strange floaty head opening uh part <laughs> but nothing else because of the picture uh, of noah Yes, yes, because of the time you <laughs> dressed up your tiny child to look like a, uh, a floating head baby. That wasn't on purpose, though, right? That no, was just that like was, a happy yeah, accident. That was, uh, of life. that was pure kismet. But uh, I think was... I think Nelly actually took that picture, not me. But yeah. yeah, it was a picture of Noah with like a black blanket on him, and it looked like he was just a disembodied floating head. Mm-hmm. Which. I remember when I showed this movie to my brother and the floating head started, he was like, okay, what the hell is going on? This is not at all what I expected from this movie. And I think there's a lot of like imagery and visual and narrative choices that I don't think a lot of people would expect from a, a movie like this. It gets into some really um, 
like German expressionism. Um, it gets into some insane split diopter shots that I'm sure has quite some influence on Brian De Palma. It's it's just a fascinating film to look at, which makes it interesting to discuss um, some of the contemporaneous responses to this. I, I messaged you guys earlier that the section on the Wikipedia page for contemporary contemporaneous reception to Night of the Hunter was pretty wild. Did you guys take a look at that section? I didn't, but I, I think it's pretty well known that the reason that Lawton only directed this one film is because people did not like it at the time. Um, I think part of that was also studio related. Like Mitchum had something else coming around, coming out like pretty much simultaneously, and they just put their chips uh, onto that movie instead of this one for whatever reason. And uh, I think with uh, the retrospectoscope, that is uh, probably probably was not the best move on their part. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Looks like but Jenna, did you take a look at it? But yeah, I was. Sorry, I got distracted also looking at uh, other parts of the Wikipedia page. Um, but I did also know that for you know whatever reason, and I guess now having seen it, maybe it was just a little ahead of its time, but that it was not well received at all, um, and that it had been definitely a film that was re re reappraised, had a reappraisal, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it seems pretty crazy because it was this is what this is fifty five, nineteen fifty five. Like it's not like I don't know. They had, like, I, they I had don't good know movies in nineteen fifty five. Like well, I mean, people had seen good shit before. They should have known. And right, well, and <laughs> he really is going for like the the German expressionist style. I mean, you think of something like M, right? That we talked about mm, not that long ago. Classical. You know that, yeah. Um, I thought of it's M, really interesting. M two. I mean, we're jumping to the very end, but. Like some of the final shots of the movie, I was like, "Oh, they're just doing them thing again." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I thought that's exactly what I thought. Um, There's this inc- uh, crazy little snippet that they put from the Harrison reports on here, which makes me think that people did like realize that this movie was going for something artistic and just disregarded it. Where it says the picture might have some appeal for those who patronize art houses in search of unusual movie fare but the great majority of those who will go to see it look upon it as a choppily edited foggy melodrama peopled with foggy characters so i guess that is just kind of how some people still talk about movies now right like oh i guess if you want to be pretentious and see an art film it's fine yeah. but blah, 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 this is like so. the it's tolerable yeah um, review or like i i've seen we'll we'll do a little we'll, we'll talk a little tar later um but I've just seen anecdotally a lot of people saying that, like, they were in audiences where people were baffled by what was happening in Tar and, and things like that. Um, and I definitely encountered some of that myself. And so I, it could just be that, yeah, people were like, ah, I guess it's going for a thing, but it's not, you know, the sort of standard Western or whatever it is that the quote unquote mainstream audiences were looking for at the time. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, th- I always think it's interesting that, like, comments on the foggy peopled with foggy characters the, the the movie seems to have incredibly stark characters that are yeah. very explicit in how they mirror and react to each other like if anything that's kind of what is part of the hyper realism about it is that they, they don't feel quite real because they're so like sharp sharply drawn yeah. yeah or just like so I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but yeah, there's yeah, they almost feel more like 
you know, representative figures because it's like, this is the evil guy and this is the cute kid and this is the, you know, nice old lady. And they're really well performed and everything, but I, I don't think I had a trouble understanding who those characters were or, or what their goals were or anything like that. The whole movie has I, a I can... fairy tale quality to it. And, yes. and that is very much part of it. Like all of these characters yes. just sort of are who they are. And a good, like, like that's ar- archetypal, I guess. Yes. Maybe what yeah, I was yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of like. It, yeah. it is a lot like little red riding hood or something yeah exactly um and that's kind of why i love this movie is it is this incredible classically told sort of um story of good and evil but the way that it's pulled off and the way it's performed is just like beyond where cinema ever will be um yeah i like to imagine this person wrote that thing being like i don't get why mitchum is supposed to be such a bad guy he's just looking for his kids you know like it's a very foggy characterization. Yeah, yeah. He walked in late and missed like the first uh, twenty minutes of the movie, and it's just like, yeah, what's this? <laughs> just, he just likes this lady. Yeah. He's <laughs> just freaking monologuing to the to the screen uh-huh. about how he wants to cleanse the world. Um, when do you guys think I can show this to my kids? Because <laughs> I think like you, ten is definitely doable. Five is probably too young. Yeah, there's nothing. So for all, like, it definitely has horror elements and some sort of and some striking imagery and everything. But it's not, uh, at least I didn't think it was, like, super scary. Uh, Ebert kind of describes it as being, like, terribly scary. And I'm like, I don't don't know if that's true. Although I will say, you never know what's going to scare a kid. Yeah. Uh, And, like, we're, like too young like the shot of the spider web could you know scare a kid or something so you never but i I think you're right i do i do think like a 10 year old would be fine i remember when i was in middle school and i showed a friend lord of the rings the two towers Mm -hmm. and he got so scared of Gollum that he couldn't sleep and i had to invite him over to my house the next day and show him like how mocap worked on the bonus features (laughs) and be like that's not real ryan yeah no i mean you just yeah you don't know what's gonna creep somebody out and there's plenty of imagery in this that if you saw it too young could really freak you out but it's not like mainly the the, scary, the scary. shot of the lake inside of the lake yeah, yeah the lake is the creepiest part that's gonna or be the, the river thing yeah uh yeah. evie insists she's gonna start watching the x-files when she's six and a half so oh okay is she feeling really That'll left out? That'll be a good litmus test. Is she feeling really left out because she she wants to be a horror kid and you guys and, and we you're watching all those X Files and you won't let her? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. hilarious. I'm trying That's to think. wonderful. She, well, because she has her X Files book, right? She has the X Files book, the, well, the little kid book. Uh, right. And I know you've tried to like show her, you know, some kid friendly stuff. What do you think is the scariest thing that she's seen or actually watched? Uh Maybe Spirited Away. Spirited Away's got some like okay. some creepy. Did she watch all of Spirited Away? Uh, yeah, she's seen the whole thing. It's got some creepy, okay. some creepy stuff. There's a giant baby. There's like heads that roll around. Oh, I love okay. the heads. Um, did she watch Over the Garden Wall? No, she hasn't. Would that be too? Um, I don't think it would be too scary. The, the, uh, well, maybe uh, what's her name? Uh, the the Tim Curry. One might be a little too much for her. That's true. Yeah. Um, but I think other than that, she could probably handle it. I don't know how much she'd be into it. Yeah, if it, it might not hold her interest. Yeah, like we we watched part of Nightmare uh, Before Christmas, and she got bored with it 
pretty quickly. That's, that's interesting. You would think the visuals. That one I wouldn't expect. Yeah, you would think the visuals on that might be enough to. I think part of it might be it's the... it's pretty song heavy in the beginning, and it's kind of tough to make out what they're saying yeah. in a lot of the lyrics. Yeah. And I think she was just like not she had lost interest pretty quickly because yeah, I wasn't really following <laughs> yeah. along. So the obvious logical step then is to show her the night of the hunter. Yeah, yeah, and um, see what happens, or maybe Nosferatu. I- first right so i i know i'm sure we will get into sort of all the reappreciation of of night of the hunter and the various lists and accolades and things did you see that apparently night of the hunter was number 90 on the original bravo's 100 scariest movie Mm -hmm. moments no i remember that episode i remember seeing the remember that from they they did the scene where uh he he runs up the staircase yeah that that Mm -hmm. would be it yeah yeah. that's the one that you would that's the most like a horror movie villain you know, mm-hmm. thing. So that's. Funny. It's funny to think of them putting that in between something that's like, I don't know, Hellraiser it's, three and like I don't right, know. That's that's what's funny to me about it because that, that, that shows mainly like, about like sort of like campy movies that'll creep yeah, you out that they could get yeah here's topical. yeah here's a here's a guy with a chainsaw or here's a guy's face melting off and then here's the night of the hunter. Um, but you know that works um relevant to our discussion also apparently night of the hunter is among the top 10 in the bfi list of the 50 films you should see by the age of 14 i did see that that's bfi's uh take that's a good list did you you know what's uh, what else is in the top 10 no i'm trying to see right now i don't see a citation for it so i don't know uh so the movies in between night of the hunter are Shallow Grave and Alice Sweet Alice. Wait, on the scariest moments or on the no, on the, on the movie <laughs> scariest <laughs> No, on the scariest movie moments. <laughs> BFI's going fucking wild. Also, I'm realizing I don't know what Shallow Grave is about. Um, I, I I hear Shallow. I heard Shallow Grave, and my brain processed it as Shattered Glass, which is uh. Is that the a, the journalism movie with? That's uh, a docudrama about plagiarism. Yeah. With, uh, with Aiden Christensen. Yes, yeah. I couldn't remember his name. But Shallow Grave is is Ewan McGregor in a Danny Boyle movie. But I don't know anything about it. Um, but I assume it's scary. Robert Mitchum was also on the uh, AFI Heroes and Villains list. Oh, sure. Uh, he was definitely the hero, correct? He's, yes. So he's number 29 as Reverend Harry Powell, but he's also number 28. Is on the hero side or the villain side? The villain side is the uh, ah. the bad guy from Cape Fear. Oh, mm. sure. I've never seen any of the Cape Fears. I've seen Scorsese's. I've never actually seen the original one. Okay, guys, I'm going to quickly read the top 10 BFI movies to watch before 14. Okay. I'm going to see if you guys think this is a good list. I, I, I found part of it, in, but then I found a letterbox list, and I'm pretty sure it's wrong because it had fucking them all on there. <laughs> I, I don't think that <laughs> that's, that's number six. Yeah, I don't think that that is correct. I'm no, no, this is correct because I've checked two lists and this is on both as number six. Uh, but I thought it was like uh, Bike Thieves, ET, Bike Thieves, ET, Kess, Night of the Hunter, Four Hundred Blows, Fucking Them All, Spirited Away, Toy Story, Where Is the Friend's House, and The Wizard of Oz. That was the top ten. What a list. I've never seen huh. fucking them all. Maybe I'm uh, not correct in what it's about based on the title. I assume that it's about, uh, well. Sexual intercourse? Yeah. 
It's it's a it's I don't believe that's like an action. It's a Swedish translation. Is just show me love. Sure. It's it's a coming of age. I don't even think there's a character named Amal. There's like, not. I think... Their names are Ellen and Agnes. Yeah, so it's two teenage girls in a small time in Sweden. Ellen is beautiful and popular and bored with life. Agnes is her friend, li- friendless, sad, and secretly in love with Ellen. There's, it's not like literally about fucking someone named Amal. It's just the poster. Sweden. The poster makes it look like you could watch it back to back with like Bend It Like Beckham or something. It's just like two yeah. teen girls like smiling, standing there. Yeah. Um, like I think it's like how in Swedish, uh, the end mean is is slut. written slut. So I think it's just one of those things, but I like the idea of coming up to a thirteen-year-old uh, and like I know you're turning oh, fourteen the next couple months. I'm going to show you fucking them all. It's Lucas Moodyson. Um, I just saw some announcement about like a Lucas Moodyson box I can't set. Remember, yeah, I yeah box Arrow, set. Maybe? Yeah, I've only seen We Are the Best, but man, do I love We Are the Best. I've never seen any of his movies actually. We are best. Yeah, neither have I. We are we are the best is a would be a good movie to like that straight up would be a great movie to show like a ten-year-old. Because it's about like twelve-year-old girls who form a punk band together. Like it's it's an incredibly sweet movie. So huh, interesting. I did also want to mention that this is number two on Kai Du Cinema's uh, one hundred most beautiful movies that they put out in two thousand seven. That's the one where it was Citizen Kane is one, and this is two. I was going to ask which one you guys thought number one would be. For Citizen Kane. Give us the is it Citizen Kane? That it would be. Well, what do you think number three is? Is it Manhattan? <laughs> that's only if you are voting. Yeah, no, that's rules of the game. Oh, oh all right. That's a great movie. Yeah, that's a that's a great. It's a favorite of ours. Truly, Indeed. is that in this book? That's in this book, right? No, no it's not in this uh, book. It's not in any book. Uh, what? No, I, I think it's in book three. Is it? Maybe. We'll figure it out. It's all right. Yeah. We got we got oh. Grand Illusion. We got our. We got a Renoir in there. Yeah, I'd take uh, Rules of the Game before Grand Illusion, though. I don't know. I, I really, I love it. It's in book two. I love Grand Illusion. Oh, I love Grand Illusion okay. so much. That would be so fucking good. That is good. <laughs> but I, I do also love Rules of the Game. Yeah, so um, also want to talk a little bit about uh, your guys' history on three specific people that uh, were important to this movie. Charles Lawton, Robert Mitchum, and Lillian Gish. So, what's your guys' like history with like Lawton? Because he's a f- huge actor from like the classical period of Hollywood. He is a big man, I think. Big. Large. It, it depends on like which era of Lawton oh, you're talking enough. about. <laughs> like, probably Night of the Hunter era, yes. But like, in Ruggles of Red Gap, he's he's not slender, but. He's got like a round, he's kind of like he's got a round face, roundish yeah. face. Yeah, yeah. Even when he was young, um, I mean, I guess what I would say is I I definitely had seen you know movies that he was in, but I'm gonna be honest, I probably did not really know like you didn't clock him. He, I didn't clock him sort of specifically as an actor that I really noticed, you know, until probably I think the past he's kind of. Years. of I think he's kind of gone that way of being yeah. so popular back in the day, but I don't think he's really as popular in, as like a Cary Grant Spartac- or someone. That he's would've... in Spartacus, which I saw when I was little. He's in Witness for the Prosecution, which I saw when I was little. 
Um, you know, so he was in things, movies that I watched, uh, but nothing that really, I, I guess really probably what he's, I would have most associated him with was the, the 1935 Mutiny on the Bounty, mm-hmm. which that I saw when I was little uh, and hunchback. I read Hunch, Yeah, Hunchback is I don't think I've seen that Hunchback, but I definitely, I've seen that Mutiny on the Bounty multiple times, including watching it like at Christmas last year. <laughs> Um, and then more recently, like, you know, over the past few years now, I watched like the old dark house and, and things like that, where you see him pop up and it's, it's really funny in the old dark house, the James whale movie. Cause he's relative, he's like 30 in that movie. Mm-hmm. He's like a young, young guy. And I associate him with being an old guy. So can I read you the name of his character in Spartacus? Sure. Semperonius Gracchus. I mean, everyone has weird. Love, love the names, names back there. Movie. We need to go back to that. Yeah. Peter Ustinov's character is Lentulus Batiatius. Nick, why didn't you name your children Letinus and Beatlus? We were going to. <laughs> that was it was next after uh Gotcha. Noah. It was that gotcha. or whatever that word you just said was. He was he was in a couple um Hitchcock movies that are like up there for my biggest Hitchcock blind spots, the parodying mm. case like in Jamaica Inn. I've never seen uh, either of those. Uh, Jamaica Inn might be my least favorite Hitchcock. <laughs> and movie. I think parodying case is also like not very well uh, received. No, but yeah, I've never that seen either po- of those. I just pulled up the poster for Jamaica Inn, and huh, yeah, it's something. not what I would have expected it for a Hitchcock movie. It's interesting. interesting. I think it throws out like interesting things. It just really didn't come together, but I saw it a long time ago. Maybe I would change my feeling how, on it now. How, how is this the only and I'm sure it's not. But how many of Hitchcock's movies are period pieces? Like this Jamaica Inn takes place in 1820. I do not think of Hitchcock as making yeah, period films. I'm trying to think. I can't think of any. I can't think of any other ones that I'm familiar with. So, hmm. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I'm I trying to think about that I have like I have like five Hitchcock masterworks I haven't seen, mm-hmm. so I have to imagine Jamaica Inn is pretty low on my Hitchcock uh, priority list. Yeah, you you uh, should probably see a few others before you get down to Rear Jamaica. Window. You think I should should see Rear Window before I? Uh... I think Jamaica Inn you could do before <laughs> Rear Window, but <laughs> if only to just build up to Rear, rear uh... Window. Um, have you guys? Any of you guys seen The Private Life of Henry VIII, the movie he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for? No. It's, I I saw it a long time ago. It's interesting. Um, It really is just a comedy of, like, he gets a new wife and then something fucking terrible happens and he's like, oh, well, need to get a new one. Um, There's one person I have on Letterboxd that really stunts for it, and it's David Sims, who absolutely He loves The Private Life of Henry VIII? He, he he's the only one I follow with like a five star review and he's just like this movie's so fucking demented it rules um I, I'd get I'd, I'd, I want to try I tried to rewatch it this week I didn't get to it but I think it's worth a shot because it, it's a very unique movie and Lawton is is very good in it um Mitchum what's your guys' history history with Mitchum I watched a lot of Mitchum movies earlier this year when they were doing a Mitchum retrospective on the Criterion channel. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, he's pretty good. 
He's good. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that um, Out of the Past is maybe my favorite film noir. <sighs> film noir. Yeah, out of the Probably. past. Out of the past. Yeah, I w- and I was talking about um, Friends of Eddie Coyle with a buddy of mine earlier this morning. Actually, oh, that was a good one. I watched that uh, in that retrospective. Yeah, I, that's another movie I love. That's a depressing fucking. <laughs> yeah. That's th- um, those are both like much different uh, Mitchums than the one you get in this. Like this is sort of like a kind of a goofy Mitchum. Yeah, I mean, so the like Eddie Coyle's just to as having a Brechtian uh, performance. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, Eddie Coyle. He's like very. He's like, um, the, sa- subdued he's like the saddest. Sad. He's like the saddest dude of the entire world in Eddie Coyle. He's a huge sad sack in it. Um, He's really good in Cape. He's honestly really good in both Cape Fears, even he, in his uh, role in his little role in the Scorsese picture. He's a um, he's a scary old man and dead man. I've, I've seen dead. Man. I literally was like scrolling about. I was like, "Holy moly! Is it possible that this is the only thing I've ever actually seen Robert Mitchum in?" You've never um, seen Scrooged Tombstone. Okay, but no. So that's what I was gonna say. It turns out that everything I've seen him in is from like the eighties and nineties. When he's old. When he's old, yeah. He, when I, he was old, he was like, you know what? You want me to come in for a couple scenes? I'm going to have some fun. Because I got down to the, the 80s, and then sure, I've definitely seen Scrooge like once or twice. It's not one of my favorites, but yeah, yeah I've seen Scrooge. I've seen Tombstone, but and then I've seen Dead Man. Um, and so, That's... yeah, it turns out that I've seen a lot of his later stuff. That's an interesting way to come into Mitchum in the, in the Night of the Hunter. yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah. Just, there's just a lot of stuff he's in that are just blind spots for me. Like I haven't seen, yeah, the friends of Eddie Coyle or, um, yeah, a lot of these. Oh, I forgot that he's plays Philip Marlowe in that weird nineteen. Oh, the remake of uh, the remake of the Big Sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Probably my favorite Mitchum performance outside of the Night of the Hunter is the Lusty Men, the Nicholas Ray movie about. Uh, is it about the Phillies man. celebrating their uh, NLCS win? <laughs> yes, it's about Nick Castellano taking his shirt off after. Uh... It's, it's about uh, Alec Bohm like bumming a cigarette off of uh, Veerling oh, and having it lit in the send... have it lit in the sexiest way possible. I sent that to one of my friends. He's like, "There's no oh. way this is real." And I'm like, "It's, I, it's real. It's, it's a, so Jake, real. It's a Jake Mintz article for Fox Sports." A real fun thing that's that's happening for me right now is that my like main group chat with my friends um, who aren't aren't big sports people, but they're like try to be supportive of me when I care about sports mm-hmm. things or whatever. But um, Two of them live in Philadelphia, and the third one's family is from Philadelphia. So, like, they've decided to get really into Bandwagon. the family. Yeah. <laughs> so, um. yeah, they're jumping on, um, and so it's great. So, like, they're sending like they're sending me like Phillies memes, and then I was able to send them that one, which was the the cigarette lighting, uh, Lady in the Tramp style uh, description. <laughs> so it's just been just great, just uh. all all the Philly memes. I need I need them to keep winning win some more so that this can go on longer yeah seriously if we did a philadelphia phillies biopic called the lusty man and we um casted one of the phillies uh as robert mitchum which was the most mitchum energy (laughs) schwarber i don't know i still Mm. i still can't i don't like him either but i I, I think he might have i think it's harper isn't it no, Harper's too like 
He's too big. He's like. I'm trying to think of an, another Mitchum movie character that he would be. He's like Johnny Depp in Red and Dead Man. Like, <laughs> he's too much of a pretty boy. Okay, need... But people are always saying that. People are always <laughs> saying that Bryce Harper is like Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp in Dead, Dead Man. Man. Like, that's the. That's so hack. We all know it's that. Too common. Yeah. Um, wow, we just took a real. A real. I think every, everyone in that team is like too young. <laughs> that's yeah, the problem. It's true. Um. But yeah, I really like him in The Lusty Man, which is just a couple years before Night of the Hunter, and he says a line about like wanting to be a preacher in that movie, and that's always been like, ha-ha! Yeah. Just I've also got, maybe got seen... I've maybe seen The Longest Day. Yeah, yeah. but that movie has like I know. all the stars yeah, in, it's, from it's the 50s frickin', and 60s. It's the, the thin red line of its time, where it's just like 8 million people pop up for 5 seconds in that movie. I the feature of the longest day and the the thin red line would be fascinating. That would also be like your entire day. That would be like six <laughs> hours of just war brutality. So you know. Um, but yeah, it, it, Robert Mitchum, I feel like is truly a man of many faces because he's so different from Out of the Past to Night of the Hunter and stuff. And I just love that. Yeah. And lastly, wanted to mention Lillian Gish. We watched a movie with her. Already yep. for this podcast. So, um, so that is my history with Lillian Gish. Was I watched that movie for this <laughs> podcast? That is my Lillian Gish. Uh, what was the line? The famous I, line that she said in that movie. <laughs> I think you need to say it. She doesn't say anything. It is a silent film. There you go. Thank you, Jana. Do not uh, do, do in, not put those words. In, also, doesn't put those words in Lillian Gish's actual mouth. We're gonna get tarred because we're gonna say the. The and then someone's going to edit them, yeah. I mean, you could, but you also don't have to. Uh, people can go back and listen to our Broken Blossoms episode if they want. Uh, Nick has fucking fire in his eyes right now. I, I want to say, <laughs> say this away. Um, but uh, there's a great line uh, that uh, Gish asked uh, Lawton why... Um, she was he was looking for her to like be a part of this movie and was watching these old movies from D.W. Griffith. Um, when she asked him like what, what's up with like what's up what's up, uh, Lawton, he said Chuck. when I first went to the movies, yeah, what's up, Chuck? Yeah, come on, Chuck. He said, Chuck, when I first went to the movies, they sat in their seats straight and leaned forward. Now they slumped down with their heads back and eat candy and popcorn. I want them to sit up straight again, and. I think Gish gives that energy that makes you go like, oh shit, in this movie, and completely turns it on its head. Um, I do like the idea of him complaining about, like, in the 50s they were slumping back and eating popcorn, and now uh, a lot of movie theaters are basically just restaurants with, like, bars and yeah. uh, reclining seats. If it wasn't for the popcorn, oh, yeah. we wouldn't have movie theaters anymore. Like, that's how they... Sus- that's, yeah, that's how, <laughs> that's how they, they make their money. Sustained. Yeah, the the theaters aren't, I mean, that's always was the sort of joke about, oh, why is popcorn so expensive at the movie theater? But like, yeah, no, truly, I think most movie theaters can afford to operate because they sell food, whether it's popcorn and M&Ms or, you know, multi-course meals Draft or house. what have you. Yeah. yeah, that's why I always get popcorn. I feel like it's p- part of what I need to do to keep you this gotta support the yeah. support the, the folks at the theater. Yeah. I don't like popcorn. Crazy. What? Crazy, crazy. <laughs> Popcorn's like my favorite food. Is it like you uh, don't like it because you love it? 
No, I don't like it that much. The fuck? Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty much my favorite food. I have popcorn instead of like for meals. All like if Matt's not home, I'm having popcorn for dinner. Probably is my love, my go-to I move. Popcorn. I love popcorn. I love it. I'm happy for you guys. Oh, so good. More popcorn for us. Yeah. Nick, what's worse, me not being a popcorn fan or Jana not being a? Soup I knew fan? this was gonna come up, and I yeah. I can't choose. I refuse to choose between two of them. <laughs> Two of the best foods, two of the saltiest. I gotta say, don't want to have soup in a movie, though. That would be very hard, too. Yeah. No, that's fair. So, so movies general. are not a place less, for less soup. portable, no. Yeah, that's, um, that's tough. As it goes back to what Nick said on the last episode, though, you're always right and we're always wrong. True. But, like, popcorn is just the perfect movie food because, like, some people get nachos. It's true. It's some a good- people get nachos in movies and, like, they're they're messy. They're they're yeah. so fucking loud. Like popcorn, yeah, very quiet. I mean, <laughs> usually, for, like if, unless you're like a monster eating with your mouth e- wide open. Years and years and years ago, I was listening to a podcast talking about um, the movie Martha Marcy May Marlene. Sure. Have you guys seen that oh movie? Oh my god, that sends me back. Right. So uh, I love that movie. It's and movie. Um, it's real good. It's really good. And what, what, Have like, all three of us seen Martha, Marcy, yeah, me, Marlene? It's a great movie. One of the guys on the podcast was saying that he was like eating his popcorn and then it gets to like one, there's like a very harrowing sexual assault scene in that movie. And he like yeah. had the popcorn in his mouth and was like, well, no, I can't chew this because everyone in this theater is silent and something horrifying is happening. And he's like, wait for the popcorn to like melt in your mouth and just swallow it. And like that does happen sometimes in the movies where I'm just like chomp, 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 and then it gets really quiet and you're like, and then it's like the scene, the sign language scene for five minutes at the end of Drive My Car, and you're like, oh, I can't chew this. Right, exactly. I just like sit here in silence. Yeah, no, I have that problem though because as someone who does go to Draft House all the time, you really have to like plan ahead for what what can you eat reasonably in a movie theater um i like one time tried to get nachos or chips and queso or something it's like you can't eat that in the dark in a movie theater that's yeah. just like a recipe it's for gonna end up all over you yeah so I, I stick with the chicken tenders or like a pizza yeah you know pizza you pick up and eat and it's it's fine but you gotta be real strategic about it but i think about a lot <laughs> what you need to do is have the feast that he has uh when he's like bribing Taunting the children pearl. <laughs> yeah you need to have like that like feast a, a and fuck, just be like, like an apple cobbler just be like yeah, yeah cutting yeah. into like this massive turkey like he is in the movie you and being like speaking of those children there's like a one-off line in the ebert essay that charles lawton didn't hated like the kids the children. yeah he's like <laughs> he, he's, he's literally the michael jordan meme <laughs> fuck those kids and i like the story that it's told that like mitchum was invaluable because like Apparently, he was like Mitchum really good, was with, good the kids. with the kids, yeah. and so then that, that way Lawton didn't have to deal with them. <laughs> Which is very surprising to me because I feel like, right? I mean, like after Mitchum's a known asshole in like <laughs> yeah. private life, yeah. So and plays a lot of assholes on the movie screen. In the uh, in the Criterion for um, Friends of Eddie Coyle, there's like a long uh, write up about like behind the, uh, the writer visiting behind the scenes of that movie. Mitchum is out of control. Uh, I would never let him around my children. <laughs> and Charles Lawton. What kind of stuff did he do? Oh well, he uh, slept around a whole lot. He uses uh, a lot of racial slurs. Pretty much. No. Well, that's that's not un- uncommon for. Pretty much whatever he opens his mouth. Uh, just oh, a real, Lordy. just a real monster. And I like to assume that 
Charles Lawton is basically just Ruggles from Red, from Red Gap, who's just a very, like, kind of demure kind. Uh, oh my god, I was gonna use demure, like, <laughs> that That might be the dictionary definition of demure, is just look at Ruggles from... Yeah, like, can you Gap. imagine Ruggles just being like, fuck off, kid. <laughs> oh, there's a little six-year-old girl who's in my movie. Eat shit, you little idiot. <laughs> and, like, the maybe most adorable child, like, that's ever been on... Like, oh my god, Pearl? Like, you're fooling. You're fooling. My name's Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not just like a cute little girl it's like the cutest my name is little judge girl. um she is she is ridiculous how cute she is um and yes it's very funny to think that charles lawton just hated those kids there's one part in the movie it's towards the end where um mitchum shows up at the house um and he walks up to the staircase and all the kids are sort of walking up in the back from the backyard and pearl like drops a doll and just sort of like zombie walks with her hands held out to get a hug for Mitchum's character. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just like how she like she didn't even have to act that part. She just was like I want I want to hug Bobby. Yeah. Maybe. Um Robert Mitchum released two albums. What? Spo- oh yeah, my girlfriend actually has one of those on vinyl. Um the first one was a Calypso record. Okay. That's the one she has. He's doing the bu- yeah. Buster Poindexter uh arc. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um when he was filming a movie, uh, I think he was in Tobago, and he, like, decided he wanted to make a Calypso record, and then he did, like, a country-style album after that, but the album's called That Man Robert Mitchum Sings. <laughs> oh, my God. The singles included The Ballad of Thunder Road, Little Old Wine Drinker Me, and You Deserve Each Other. Hmm. So, Yeah. You guys have to hear this real quick. I am so sorry. And as well as listeners, I will uh, put a little clip of this uh, song over Facebook. Let me tell the story. I can tell it all. Oh, yeah. Also, that album cover for the record. This track is called The Ballad of Thunder Road. Sometimes into I'm, Advil, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up on my phone instead of my computer. Like I'm gonna not blast it. His engine would explode. This is remarkable. I mean, I don't know good is kind of the word I would use, but incredible. Also, can you imagine you think Robert Mitchum's voice singing? That's what Robert Mitchum sounds like singing. Yeah, it's that's why I wanted to share it. He can carry a tune. Okay. Whichever rule he tried to take beginning sure Nick's face is so quizzical. Yeah, you're gonna have to put in some music for the uh Yeah, I'll definitely here, be playing we're, the music. We're just right bopping now. our heads with our headphones, uh He looks great on this album cover. Yeah, Maybe everyone, he will be the achievement in hotness, but just for the just Calypso for the Calypso is record. like so album cover. You know, if we're talking about achievement in hotness, as far as like the literal term of achievement, getting people to marry you so you could kill them is a pretty big achievement in hotness. Yeah, he must be yeah. really hot to be able to pull that off. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I will say he did pick a pretty soft target. Oh my god! All right, we will talk a lot about that. Willa. Poor Willa. Poor Shelley Winters is great in this. She, but yeah, Shelley Winters' Shelley whole Winters, career is just like. 
falling in love with terrible dudes, like wanting wanting to bone. <laughs> they have no interest in her. <laughs> then she dies. Yeah. Like that's just. It is funny. I do associate her, her with playing like really like pathetic characters in like the classical sense, you know, yeah. like that just like sure. truly, you know, just sad, sad, sad characters. She is. Got a really small like we'll talk about this. This is kind of like the psycho thing where she comes in and you're like, oh, this is gonna be That's like the, the other main character, and it's like, wait, fifteen minutes, we're gonna kill her, we're gonna kill her real hard. Um, but I think she's like a knockout in the time she has on this in this on the screen. She's so good. <clears throat> All right, so we can open up at the start of the movie now. Um, this is a short movie, so I don't expect we'll be going through too much, but. Um, we have the opening of floaty faces in the space. Lillian gives sort of gives a monologue about like protecting the children and stuff. Very M, or ending of M. Uh, so now we get a scene. We got a, we get a lot of interesting helicopter shots in the opening. So genuine. Here's a question. I'm I'm a educated person who lives in the world. Like I was looking at that, going. So are these helicopter shots? Were they using helicopters to shoot movies in the fifties? Was it like more likely a small plane? Like how how did, how are they doing this? Do we know? We don't know. I, for sure. We just assume they were using helicopters to shoot down people in well, other I, places. Yeah. I I realized that the military was using helicopters. I didn't know if Charles Lawton, what his access to helicopters were in 1955. I, I, I think it is, just because I think it's too high to be a crane shot. Like, yeah. especially the, yeah. the early one. And where it's you pretty see damn them. shaky. Yeah. It's so shaky. Yeah. That is the kind of thing that made me realize this is probably just like a really old helicopter because it's it's not like now we're so... I mean, I can complain about overuse of, of drone shots all the time, but now we're so ambulance. used... <laughs> okay, but that's that's an achievement in the form. Um, but we're so we're so used to like those ultra smooth mm-hmm. drone shots, you know, that it was funny to see a helicopter like, shot that was like very like. There's some like, guy like with like his like biceps bulging, like trying right. to like hold this camera as yeah. steady as it's, possible. Well, it's like yeah. the um, Hard Day's Night helicopter shot. It's just like mm-hmm. this camera is. Okay. We we have no interest in keeping this camera still because we know it won't be possible. <laughs> that's not our yeah priority. Um. And we kind of set up sort of the landscape. We we see some kids discover a body in a house. Um, cut to uh, Mitchum driving away from that house, uh, theoretically at least, um, talking about how he wants to like cleanse the world of evil and kill people and get rich. Talking to God. Good for him. How is um, it and... now, God? Six. <laughs> Twelve. Twelve. What is? Um, it's so good um and uh so that's sort of the setup on his end of like what he's up to and the setup on the on the other side the good side is uh the um it's john and pearl um they're the two kids they have a dad it's a great depression he stole some money ben harper uh, tried to ben harper like the uh... um i don't know what style of music that is bad style of music singer wow ben harper burn coming for ben harper do you, do you know who do you know who, do you know you don't know who ben harper is dylan no i that's don't fine. I, that's fine it's like college rock radio yeah. from when we were in college ben oh i assume it would be someone from the 50s 
No, no, no. Uh, okay. He's sort of. I was. I was listening to. Lo, this guy has a look. He does. Um, I, I, I was listening to Ben Harper around the same time that I was listening to like Jack Johnson. You know, oh, I think uh, that's yeah, kind of yeah, a yeah. similar. Okay. Vibe, although okay. I and I, I think I want to be correct about this. Yeah, Ben Harper used to be married to Laura Dern for a while. What? So. All right, he's cooler than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's he, he's cool. Um, they were briefly okay. They started dating in 2000, married in 05, divorced in 2010. They have two children together. Okay. Wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, we're gonna go back to. <laughs> I, I'm having the problem we have when we talk about really good movies. Like, <laughs> it's like getting more derailed than normal. Exactly. All right. Um, yes. The Harpers. I'll do my best. So, um, yeah. So Ben Harper stole money. Um, he tells the kids to, or he hides the money. We don't initially know where he hid the money, um, and tells John and Pearl never to say where the money is. Um, and he gets arrested. And uh, this is obviously a scene that um, affects John heavily because he kind of reacts to his father getting beaten up by police. That'll come back later in the movie. Um, and so then sort of the plot comes from this. Mitchum's in the jail cell with Ben. There's this absolutely hilarious part where Ben is talking in his sleep about the money. And Mitchum's head gets like thrown out of the bunk bed above him to like look down and be like speak to me man where's the money and uh it's just so funny the way uh Mitchum moves and how he reacts to stuff um but basically when he get when he gets out of jail um Ben Harper's killed he takes the secret to his grave and now he needs to go marry Willa and find out um where the money is Willa being the kid's mom and Ben Harper's now widow, widow. and the kids know where it is the yes, the do. kids do. Willa doesn't, um, which I think is a bit of a letdown for Mitchum. Because um, Ben knows that the kids will keep a secret better than his wife will. Yeah, <laughs> which his, is, his instincts were right which there. Which is a very good insight on mm. Ben Harper's part. <laughs> for how Willa acts? Yeah. Um, so we get introduced to, or the kids get introduced to Mitchum through the right hand left hand scene um he's like performing in what, what is it like an ice cream bar that um best last name ever uh we gotta talk about I mrs think, spoons a little bit uh, yeah icy Girl. spoon i think <laughs> is like spoon. the key to this movie i say I, icy spoons which is just like an incredible yeah, name an incredible name incredible performance has the um, most unhealthy perspective on uh marriage that i think i've ever heard in a movie oh my god <laughs> There's a scene after this one where they're all at like a picnic. Yeah, what she's talking like, about in her canning. <laughs> and she's like, no, she's like talking about like how like, you know, bad Willa is to marry a man that would rob. He's like, that woman's all messed up inside. She's got the devil in her, and like the kids, the kids are standing right next to her as she's saying this like out loud to the picnic. And I'm just like, oh yeah, you poor folks. She's like, not particularly thoughtful. No. Um... But Willa and Icy are both very taken with uh, Bobby Mitch in this scene and at the picnic. And I love how quickly this movie moves because, like, it doesn't waste any time. It's just like, all right, they're getting married. She needs to find a husband to help raise the kids. And this is a pretty suitable person. And um, she wants to bone him. And so they get on with it. 
and um, Icy thinks in, that he is just the most holy man in the whole world, even though he's incredibly sketch. Um, there's a terrifying scene where um, after they get married, they go to like bed together, and um, she's getting like really ready to like I don't know, get it on. And uh, he just starts, like, gaslighting her and guilting her and, like, saying, like, your pleasure is gross and against our way of God. And then basically turns the town into, like, a cult mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Um, crazy people. Gets them all riled up. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I wanted to mention uh, there's a friend that they, uh, the kids hang out with named Uncle Birdie, who's just, like, kind of this, like, old guy that, like, lives in a shed by the river. Um, there's a part where this movie's really funny. There's a part where uh, Uncle Birdie is like fishing, and he like catches a fish and like chucks yeah, it just like throws over the, the head of John and into the boat, and just starts like beating it with like a like a, a rowing stick. Um, good setup for this character. Um, well, I, I like how they set up this character, and he's saying like, we all know that Harry Powell's going to do some shit. He's going to put the kids yeah. in danger. And this guy says, hey, if you ever need help, I'm always here for you. So you think it's either going to be one of two things. The kids are going to go to him for help, and he's going to help them. Or the kids are going to go to him for help, he's going to help them, and is going to die in the process. But instead, <laughs> they go to him for help, and he's fucking housed. And does not help <laughs> them at all. <laughs> he's just well, let's talk about why he's fucking housed. Yes. But it's just so, so funny that like you you have your expectations about like what this type of character is going to be in this kind of story, and he's just like completely useless. Oh yeah. Well, I, I think this goes back to the point of the movie where it's like adults are generally pretty useless people. Mm-hmm. The kids yeah. are the ones with the the most insight, the most emotions, the most like reasoning skills to not be like taken by something that they think they should be, mm-hmm. like all the other adults in the town. Um, the reason he's housed in that scene is because um, at the point where uh, Shelley Winters realizes um, he's basically just um, trying to look for the money, you mm. think she's going to kind of react more than she does, but she's so possessed that she, like, continues... <laughs> Jenna, what was uh, that reaction? No, I was going to say, no, I mean, that, that's just exactly the thing with her character. Is she's, she's just like, too so... far gone. Yeah, she's, like, so yeah. desperate that it doesn't matter. Um, and she gets killed real bad by uh, Mitchum in this awesome scene where she's basically monologuing about like how you know she'll always be with him and you you definitely didn't marry me just for the money, Harry. Like you have good things coming. And he like it's hard to describe how this scene looks. There's like an arched roof and like he's. The looking at the like the moonlight and he's like trying to grab it, it it's incredibly uh, Caligarian mm-hmm. or uh, like Fritz Lang, and the way he kills her is like he like like sort of like leans over her on the bed and the knife right in the air. Also, very much like the first kill in Caligari, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Have you guys seen Caligari? Oh yeah, I have not. No. Oh, Janet, you'd love Calgary. I know. It's on the list. Yeah, lots of, like... They have all, like, crayons on the walls. Sharp angles. Yeah. Um, and, uh, basically, he puts her body in the, uh... Is it the river, or is it on a lake? It's on the river. 
I think it's in the river. Yeah, I think it's okay. the same river that the kids. It's supposed and, to be the same river that the kids yeah. end up in because uh, Uncle Birdie sees <clears throat> the body when he's fishing. Then the kids fishing, take yeah. off from the same area, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I can't remember where it is, but Birdie says a line where it's like he he says that. They would have blamed this. Uh, he like he can't go to the police for help because if he went, the police would blame him for killing Shelley Winters' character. Um, and says something about like uh, the knife cut through her neck was so deep it looked like she had a second mouth. Mm-hmm. It's brutal, and the Rough. the way they shoot her in the water, nothing looks like that. Man, the way like the seaweed is sort of like waving with her hair, looks angelic, but. Yeah, I do think it's the creepiest image, like we were saying yeah. up top. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's going to stick with you, uh, I think, if you see that too young. The, it's really beautiful, but in a like very creepy way. Jana, this was the part that you first messaged us, like just you taking a picture of your uh, Yeah, screen. I took a bunch of photos, mostly so I would remember what I wanted to talk about uh, today. But yeah, that's the first one that is like really arresting. Um it was almost like you're like watching a sports game or something, and you were like, "Oh my god, look I at this!" I do this with a lot of our movies. Sometimes I don't always send them to you guys, but I do it with like sometimes instead of taking notes, I will just like take a picture mm-hmm. of the screen so that I can go back and be like, "Okay, I want to talk about that part or that part." Yeah, and uh, yeah, this movie just looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that image is crazy. Did you? I remember. They, I think I started reading about how they did that. Do you know, guys? Remember how they filmed that? Oh, I, I don't. I think it was a. I think it was a mannequin that they put I a mask on. I hope they did not tie Shelley Winters Shelley like to Winters. a car underwater. <laughs> she had it hard enough as it was. Uh, I hope she had like a really really nice life. Like she had, she lived like a really good life. Uh, I think she. She was lived all to be right. pretty old. Yeah, eighty five. Eighty five. Yeah. Eighty five. Um, yeah. I wish only the best for Shelley Winters. She but, had a um, long. She was in a long term relationship that was probably just like a, a, a showman's kind of thing with Farley Granger. Uh, hmm. Speaking of oh, other really? Hitchcock movies, the guy from Rope. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Lawton was kind of an ultimate wife guy, maybe. Um, with Elsa Lancaster, who I plays know. the bride and the bride of Frankenstein. Love that. Love that. Although I was reading that. a bit about their relationship, and it sounds like Lawton... Uh, he was gay. Was, uh, was pretty gay, and was more of a... a for show, but it seems yeah. like they cared about each other. It seems other, like they had least. a nice, like at least in some of the quotes I read from her about like this movie and things. It seems like they probably had a decent partnership, um, mm-hmm. you know, even if maybe not a real romantic relationship. Yeah. Um, so after we see her dead body, it cuts to Mitchum back in the uh, the spoons' place. He's just like doing like the most hilarious fake crying. And uh, Icy is just being so, like, sympathetic to him. Mm-hmm. And I have this exchange, it's so funny, where she says, what would have possessed that girl? And he goes, Satan. And she goes, ah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Satan. Oh, that's, oh, God, why didn't I think of it? Satan. Um, and he's like, she turned me out of bed. She's like, no. And this is when Brother Spoon starts to sort of question. Um, sorry, not Brother Mr. He's called Brother Spoon by uh, Mitchum, yeah. which is the funniest uh, way to. But um, 
Yeah, so then he read, said, like, she had, like, a confessional letter, and then Spoon's like, oh, well, what did it say? Like, we could read this. He's like, I tore it up and I burnt it at Stank of Hellfire. And Icy's like, amen. <laughs> like, okay. Good. Sure. Not sus at all. This is not sus in the slightest. And, um... <sighs> Yeah, then there's another part where he's like, there's no chance of her returning, and then he just like this like look up and he's like, I will promise you that. Oh, he's so creepy. I love him so much. He's very creepy. So apparently this is the uh casting dirt I have. So apparently uh Lawton wanted to play that character himself. Ah. That's been interesting. And the producers wouldn't let him. Huh. So they they were pushing for um Lawrence Olivier. I oh, I see that. saw that, yeah. And he said, no, absolutely not. And I know why. Why? So this is from uh, the Orson Welles, My Lunches with Orson, which is uh, Henry Jaglum and, and Orson Welles talking. And there's a whole, there's a chapter that starts with Jaglum saying, the first line is, tell me more about Charles Lawton. And uh, Welles, like, thought the world of him, talks about how they'd done, like, a... Uh, a radio broadcast together of him doing the uh, Gettysburg Address, which he does in uh, Ruggles Red Gap. And then, uh, well, this is a long passage. Uh, but he says, I was very fond of him. He was a sweet man. It was absolutely terrible what Larry did to him. Larry is Lawrence Olivier, who Orson Welles fucking hated. Um, <laughs> Not surprised there, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So he says it was terrible what uh, Larry did to him. Larry was sharing a season with him at Stratford. Larry was doing... What's that little-known Shakespeare play that Peter Brook directed with Larry and made a big success? Not Timon of Athens, Pericles, maybe. And Lawton was doing King Lear and Bottom and Midsummer Night's Dream. And everyone said he was very interesting in both parts. But in front of the entire company in Stratford, Larry said, Charles, you are an amateur actor, and you've never been anything else in your life. Don't ask us to take you seriously. And Lawton went away and cried, wept like a child. Uh, and then says it was heartbreaking for him. Lawton never got over it. He was like a fourteen-year-old boy, totally immature. Dang. Yeah. So that is why <laughs> Charles Lawton would not cast Lawrence Olivier. Uh, Good lord. In this role. Yeah. Yeah. Char- uh, Lawrence Olivier just sounds like such a fucking piece of shit in that book. He- like, like all, all well, like Wells is very. Um, I don't know how much to take everything he says is like 100% truth, but yeah, he, he talks about like, like Olivier always just like staring at himself in the mirror and like not not taking his eyes off himself. And I think it's in this where he says like he wished he could go down on himself or something to that effect. Like, yeah, interesting. He, he, he did not like that guy. Um, um, Lawrence Olivier, wanna, by the way, is eight years younger than Charles Lawton. Like, what a what a little brat! Like, cause I was yeah, like, why truly. is like he's like, oh god. Like, I, I want to bring Lawton out of the kitchens and sing. He's a jolly good fellow to him. Yeah, make Aww. him feel better. That's good stuff. Sorry, that's the end of uh, Ruggles. <laughs> okay, I, I assume I was like I'm assuming there's a <laughs> reference that I don't get, but it's fine. You all yeah. played a suit. Um, <laughs> Thing. I fucking love that guy, oh, Egbert. In that I love him so much. I love that movie. What's that guy's name? It, his his name, name is his name is Ruggles. Like in real life, Ebert, but like uh, Egbert with the G. <laughs> um, so then now that Shelley Winters is gone, he's really gonna get to work on the kids. 
uh, Icy brings them like a, a ten course dinner, and he's just eating it all, like I like I mentioned earlier, and just like saying like you guys can eat some of this to the kids, like if you tell me where the money's hid. Um, he's really getting at Pearl, but then John tries to be smart and be like, you know, it's it's down in the basement. You can go look for yourself. It's here. I love Pearl's reaction when John says that. She's like, <gasps> which should be like the most obvious thing of like. No, that's not where the money is hid. Um, much to John's surprise, though, I think this should be obvious that uh, Mitchum is like, your guys are coming downstairs with me as we go look for this. Um, the the basement scene here is is one of my favorite scenes in this movie as well, where um, you know he's got John like down on a a barrel almost, and he's gonna like slit his heart his uh, throat open like a hog. Because John lied. Because that's obviously not where the money's hid. Because the money's hid in the doll. Or as uh, our Mitchum would say, the doll! Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, what do you guys think of the kids' performance in this movie? I think I mean, they're fine. It's not like the they're best. They're fine. They're, the, yeah, they're kids. Yeah, it's not like uh, John Pierre Layout or anything. But it's... <laughs> it's they're not terrible yeah i i think it's interesting it's it's fascinating to put like mitchum at his most over the top against like these two kids that obviously don't really have acting experience they're just kind of they're just kids and just like put them in this like really confined basement space but um after he learns that it's in the doll uh john breaks like this cupboard or the shelf above mitchum's head where in Hits him in the head and kind of knocks him out a little bit and they try to escape. And there's a part where Rick Mitchum walks up with his hands all Frankenstein-y. Frankensteinian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, just barely misses them as they close the door behind gets his uh They shut his fingers hands. on the door and he, he, yeah. he yelps like a Looney Tunes character it's sitting so on a bonfire. It's so funny when he But yelps, then, like, yeah. then they get the door closed and you just hear him go... I can't do the growl that he does as well as he does it. I might just, like, put that in right here. But, um, this is the point when Alex kind of turned to me and was like, I don't think this is a good performance. And I was like, hmm, okay. He's like, it's just, it's not human. He's not being a human anymore. And I was kind of like... I, I think that's a different, to me, that's a different, like judgment scale than if it's good or not you know what i mean like a performance can be good or bad it can be realistic or not um i think you're right he he basically like we said these characters are all kind of exist as as archetypes and and symbols and it's like this sort of fable almost um but i think he does a good job i I don't think anyone is really supposed to be doing a nuanced humanistic portrayal (laughs) of these (laughs) characters so it's fine i'm fine with it yeah um so after they uh, lock him in the basement, they escape to the river where they find a boat, and um, there's a really good suspenseful scene of like Lawton like running up to them, like chopping through like the 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 forest to get to the edge of the river, where they are just trying to like get the, this little boat off. And um, did did this uh, part remind you guys of another favorite movie of yours? There was something that this always reminded me of. Mm. It reminds so. me a lot of the the Fellowship of the Ring at the Brandywine Bridge, when they get into a boat and they're being chased by the Nazgul's, 
And the Nazgul's arrive, like, literally one second too late. And, like, if they had two arm's length of distance, they could grab onto the boat. But because it's just one, they can't get there. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is another moment where Mitchum does this uh, scream that is just absolutely wild. The sounds he makes. And, um, yeah, so now we get, like, this completely... uh, like, undisturbed five minutes of just them floating down a river. Pearl sings a little mm-hmm. song. Yeah. Gianna, did you recognize that song? I didn't. You didn't. That's interesting. I don't think so. so interesting, because it's in something else that you like. Yeah, it's something else from two years ago that you liked? Two years at this point. Oh, God, what? It plays in Promising Young Woman after she sees oh, the video. Right. Yes. Okay. I did. I did... I remember that from when I was reading about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten that, that Night of the Hunters actually referenced in Promising Young Woman multiple times. Like she, her, she's watching it on TV. I think her she? parents are watching it. Like her family at her, her, her parents' house, they're watching it on TV. That's the part I remembered. I'd forgotten about the song, but I had remembered that, yeah, they, they watched that in that movie, which is interesting. Like, I can just like, think about that for a while and what the purpose of that was that's interesting to me. yeah i was trying to th- like there are both movies about i guess uh women being abused but yeah but I, but, Ter- terrorized <laughs> i yeah, guess like but I, but I think like the trajectory of those is much different very different yeah like that that movie is obviously like has a large revenge component whereas this one is almost like I guess we'll talk about what you make of the ending, um, mm-hmm. which there's, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. There's so many good uh, split diopter shots in this part on the river between like a spider web in the boat and the frog in a boat. Um, the owl. The owl is great. Lots of good critters. Yeah, Janet, you took a picture of the owl, right? I love the owl. Love that owl. The space. owl's dope. Yeah. Is, is the owl is at the part where Mitchum is like monologuing to a bunch of people like living in like a like a little commune because they're all um like laid off from the Great Depression and stuff like they're mm-hmm. all in like tents. Yeah, and stuff. Like the tent city. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. Little, um, is this supposed to take shot. place in like late 1920s? Then is that kind of what? It's like it's depression he, era. Well, because it's based on it's loosely based on a real guy who died like in 1930. So I think it's it's supposed to be right around that time. Okay. I kept on reading on the Wikipedia that this was like a depression era movie specifically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think so. So it's they hide like out in a barn. Seventy-ish thousand dollars today is what we're talking about. Oh, thank you, Nick. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did that. I I did the inflation calculator. I, last I night because that was one of the that, first things we were talking about where we're like this is an awful lot of work for ten thousand dollars <laughs> how much money are we really talking about and it's like yeah you guys are trying to imagine hiding a hundred seventy thousand dollars in bills in a doll nowadays yeah sure yeah <laughs> um they hide out in a barn and um I, they think there's this like quick moment of respite and then pal just like shows up on the horizon I think this is my favorite shot of the movie. Yeah. Unbelievable um, shot of this silhouette. I took a picture of that, too. I don't think I sent you guys that one. But that that image was unbelievable. 
I read that they did this shot with like a little person a on a miniature horse or right? pony. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> something. Yeah, um, to sort of get it like to be a little bit more of like a rough, easier to see sort of silhouette. Mm-hmm. That's um, interesting. But it, it it just looks, it's just such a beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. It's so good, and I love John's reaction to His him line, seeing. Yeah. Yeah, because at first he like he, he doesn't like freak out immediately. He just goes, "Don't he ever sleep?" Yeah, yeah, he's relentless. That, that's the thing with evil. Evil don't sleep. Satan doesn't sleep. This man will stop at nothing. Um, so they get back on the river. Okay, they I go w- further downstream. I wasn't I wasn't positive, but one of my you know how like you on Facebook you have like your profile picture and then the thing behind it like the more landscapey mm-hmm. header one. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I had this as my header photo. Let's see, April eighteenth, two thousand sixteen. This is oh, that's and when did it go off? Oh, uh, the next one is three months later. It's the image from "It's Such a Beautiful Day" of the two stick figures laying down with the trees above them. Yeah, nice. And then it switched to La Jetée. What a cute movie. And then Vertigo, and then uh, Fantastic Planet, then Totoro, and now it's even Noah on a swing. Ah. <laughs> the movies get replaced. I say abandoned, yeah. abandoned the movies. Yeah. Um. So now we get to. They get to a house, and um, a woman basically starts like whipping them, <laughs> to try to get them to come with her. She like picks up like a like a reed. It's not like a whip, but like just starts like trying to like hit them. Like, mm-hmm. get, come on, come on, kids. Um, or a switch, she calls it. And um, they get brought to a little farmhouse where uh, we get this awesome pan up on Lillian Gish that like she's like an Avenger or something showing up in a movie. She does get like a good hero moment or like hero and yeah, she yeah. does. Um, and she sort of has like a. A house for like uh, orphan children or mm-hmm. children that don't have anywhere to go. Yeah, like um, r- she... river kids, kids who just kind of show up along yeah. the river there. Yeah, this river just feeds some kids every now and yeah. then. Um, she has this great line when they go to the, uh, they go to like the market, like a scene or two later. She's talking with uh, the shop owner, and he says, she says to him like, "I am a strong tree with many branches for many birds." Um. It's a good representation of, like, the kind of person she is. She's very um, foundational and solid and has enough to hold a lot of people together. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really like about this characterization is she's not that far off from what Powell is, where she wants to, like, help people not fall to, like, lust or sin. She's very biblical, um... And uh, she's also fairly abusive. You see her spanking multiple kids throughout this movie. Like, she doesn't have, not have, she's not like this perfectly uh, pacifying woman. Um, but while they have these overlaps in how they act and like their religious views, um, they are like the most opposite sides of a coin as you could get as far as just like general morality could go. Mm-hmm. And I really like that sort of. Um, Right hand, left hand. Yeah, I was gonna say that this movie is very much into its dichotomies. Like his his knuckles yeah. are, are the most obvious example, but this really is like the uh, two different approaches to religion. Like you can either do it like kind of earnestly and choose a little bit more um, 
like not ostentatious with her religion she's just like all right i'm gonna tell the kids tell the kids who live in my house the story about whatever as opposed to the preacher who's only using this for his own yeah and he, he builds up a cult yeah. i forgot to mention but there's a line in the cult scene where shelly winter says something like he murdered people because i hounded him for perfume oh when she's talking about her husband yeah, yeah. perfume and does yeah. say like face paint or something like that yeah <laughs> get rid of the paint and um yeah we're in that form of religion it, it's really a way to like make people feel bad about themselves to raise yourself up to look good for them and this one it, it is a general line of like there's still like this cruelty that she gives in like the disciplining but it's always at least from a sense of care i'm not saying you should spank your kids or anything but um there's a difference between these two about like the more morals that they have mm-hmm. and how they do it and, and I, I really like that dichotomy i think it like the way we view corporal punishment like that for children is probably different than most audiences watching this back then will say like oh she's tough but fair or like some you know right. some, yeah, some exactly. she's being a, she's being a good caretaker yeah yeah she's done. she's yeah, stern yeah. but putting these children yeah. on the right path which is like yeah. obviously not the way uh right we view that now but lots of research and stuff yeah yeah. i I think we're definitely supposed to think of her fairly uncritically like that she she's sort of one of the most sort of just like upstanding adults you know whether you think about her uncritically or critically there is just that sort of mirroring while also that dichotomy between the two and i i really like that um just to be clear, don't spank uh, your kids. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we know now. Not good. Don't do it. Just please don't do it. Also, don't uh, try to murder uh, your spouse and her children in order to Yeah, like, both, both sides of those things aren't good. Like, yeah, we don't like either one. Maybe more important. Um, but. Yeah. I like the way, uh, again, sort of like this kind of goes back to the dichotomy of what they see it as morality and sinful and lustful. And where Ruby, the oldest of all the kids, it seems like she takes care of, is starts to notice boys, and um, there's these two boys that she likes hanging around. Um, obviously, uh, no gooders. Um, these two kids, but one day she runs into who else but Harry Powell, and um, again, if we're talking achievement and hotness, everyone is just falling over for this man. It's quite taken with him. Uh, he takes her out for ice cream. And when she comes home and she tells uh, Lillian Gish about how, what she did, like, there isn't this moment of, like, I need to condemn you. And she just sort of holds her and is like, You're dumb, dumb. What, what? You wouldn't know any better. Like, this this is just what happens. Oh, I have it written down. You were only looking for rub- love, Ruby, the only way you knew how. Love that dichotomy. And talking more about that dichotomy, um, now is when we get Harry Powell versus uh, Rachel Cooper. Is it? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Rachel Cooper. Okay. Um, which is just my two favorite showdowns in movie history. Which is, he shows up at the house um, and is sort of like talking out about like, they're my own flesh and blood. Their mama ran away and uh, I need to be raising them on my own. And Gish is sort of... I like how she plays this character. Mm-hmm. Again, no one acted so well in her face as Lillian Gish did throughout her entire life. And Gish is like, something's not exactly right. And I like when she turns to John and John goes, 
he's not my dad. And she mm-hmm. goes, she immediately and he ain't no like, preacher either. Yeah. And she just grabs the shotgun and yeah. is like, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. And doesn't she like poke him on the butt with it when he's like taking? Yeah, because like John, John yeah. takes yeah. the doll and runs under the um like the staircase up to the house, and uh, like Mitchum like literally starts like crawling his way towards him, and uh, yeah, that's what Gish like pokes him in the butt with the the rifle. Doesn't she like, even? Maybe I'm just remembering it this way, but doesn't she even go like, <clears throat> like, like, <laughs> kind of like <clears throat> sir, yeah. I, I am pointing a gun at your ass. Yeah. Um, so he, he he leaves for the moment, but is like, I will be back. And um, now we get to what is actually the best scene in movie history, in my opinion. Now, I'm curious if you guys... Did you guys know the song Leading on the Lever Lasting Arm before this movie? No. no. Neither did I. So, this whole song that... I, I The first times I had watched it, I thought he just had made this song up or something. I didn't think much of it. And so he's singing the Leaning on the Everlasting Arm as he's, like, maniacally watching from, like, a tree stump outside the house. Mm-hmm. Um, Lily and Gish is sitting in a, a rocking chair with her rifle between her lap. All the kids are upstairs asleep. And as he's singing it, she starts to duet him. And given the dichotomy between them, them both singing the song that, for one, I didn't even know was, like, an actually common song which is why i think it even blew my mind even more what had happened i was like my god this is like the best thing i will ever see um do you know what movie uh, the the way i learned this is it this move this uh song popped up in a movie that i watched earlier this year do you guys know the movie that this that song closes the out i mean i saw on the wikipedia page oh okay oh i i didn't and i do not know it's uh, the Coen Brothers' True Grit. Oh, all right. And actually, that I don't remember the that. main theme of True Grit is um, like a harmonizing of the uh, leaning on the everlasting arm. Which... Did you see that for the first time this year? No, but I oh. watched it. Like I hadn't watched it since it came out in gotcha. two thousand nine yeah, or yeah, I haven't seen it since it was in theaters. Ugh, and I I, so I only watched the back half of it and. Again, like you just said, Jana, like I was kind of blown away by just how freaking it's top tier, Cohen Brothers. It's so good. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, and um, oh, that that movie's so sad. And when they started playing that song at the end, I was like, oh, oh, so it's a thing. So like, it's an actual song. Um, if those are the two songs leading on the everlasting arm has been in, it's batting a thousand as well. It's the Charles Lawton of uh, proverb songs that have showed up in movies. So, Ruby gets awakened by the voice of Henry Powell, Henry Harry Powell, and comes downstairs with a candle. And um, Jenna, I like the way you described how what happened here in your comments last night, which is like the candle just like completely floods the room with light. Yeah, <laughs> it and, does. Um, it's so bright that, like, you can't see outside anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so 
then Lillian Gish blows out the candle and suddenly Harry Powell's not there anymore. And it, like you said, Jenna, that is some real horror movie shit. Yeah, that's, like, that was like the jump scare mm-hmm. is like and the you're bright like, light oh. and then he's gone. It's like, it's like at the end of Halloween and you look down and Michael Myers isn't there anymore and you're like, oh God, he's out there. <laughs> it's like, such it's, a hard yeah, it's great. scare to pull off too. Like, because usually jump scares, it's like you look in the mirror, the bathroom mirror, you open the cabinets to get like your pills out, you close it mm-hmm. and there's somebody there like, Yes. The presence of something new is easy to make scary. The absence of something that should be there mm-hmm. that no longer is is tough to pull off, but God, it works so fucking good. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the best. And um, I love watching it now because, like, as it's blocked in the movie, it, it does a really good job of, like, really lighting up Gish's and Ruby's mm-hmm. faces. And so, like, you're really focused on them. And so you don't think until she blows out the candle, you're like, oh, man. But now when, if you watch it, like and you know that he's gonna disappear. You can barely see Mitchum like jump to the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, that makes like, sense. It's really funny. Yeah, but it's it works great. because you don't know it's because like when out. you watch it the first or second time, you you forget that he's about to like disappear, and you're just mm-hmm. watching it as as it's blocked. But if you if you w- work against the blocking, it's like <laughs> look at Bobby just jumping around. Um. Yeah, so then uh, she gathers all the children, puts them in the basement, and she starts, like, uh, guarding them. Um, she uh, recounts the story of, like, the pharaohs... Or, no, so it's like, um, who's going after Jesus in that story she was telling? But uh, either way, just, like, this man hated someone so much that he had to kill everyone to make sure he got his way. Um, so... Mitchum shows up and uh, there's a great part where he sa- they, she sends the kids upstairs. You, you can only hear Mitchum's voice talking to Gish. And a cat walks by as they go walking upstairs. And I guess the cat like scratches Mitchum or something. And his head pops up and you hear him like yelp after getting shot at. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to clip the sound in here because it's unlike anything anyone's ever sounded Does, like. Doesn't it sound like Daffy Duck? Like, kind of bouncing. <laughs> can you imagine like bouncing around going, <laughs> I could see it. It was at this point in the movie where Alex Turnbull was like, oh, so he just isn't a human. Like, I get what Mitchum's doing in this movie now. Like, more so than when he was like, kind of a creepy dude that had a weird growl. Like, oh, this person's just like a spirit almost. Uh, like a literal something like ghostly and satanic like he's like oh, okay okay I, I get it now um so he runs away to the barn uh gish calls up the police and it's like you have to take someone away uh they find him in the barn the next morning and then really sad scene where they arrest him and i love the way that this what should be like the most triumphant moment in the movie is turned into something really sad where the police are just beating him up the same way they beat up uh, ben Harper mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, John just starts like having like these flashbacks and like it's like slamming the doll onto Mitchum, Mitchum's backs as he's getting arrested just like just take the money I don't want to see any more violence mm-hmm. I mean he doesn't say I don't want to see any more violence but, right, but that's the that's like the conceit like yeah. doesn't he say it's not worth it or something like that if I think I, it, yeah, it, that it, sounds it's, right it's not worth it yeah in this, this adult world like violence begets violence and even trying to stop the evil person just leads to brutality and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which and is what ties into the ending of this movie which I 
freaking love like this sort of like epilogue where they're having the trial of uh harry powell and uh john won't name him in court he's just like i i do not want to be a part of this proceeding he's, he's like, fairly traumatized by the whole thing at this yeah he's point. like this is what happened to my dad they put him on trial yeah. and someone was and like that's him and, yeah. yeah he's like i'm not doing this and uh gish and the kids go walking away with like their christmas presents um I love, I love the way where the, one of the, I don't know, Janet Wood and lawyer speak is like the people that were like working at the court. One of them says to Gish, like, um, what, what did like the, the boy cl- get like, for Chris? Like the, wait, you mean like the clerk or the bailiff or Yeah, something? the clerk, yeah, the, the clerk, clerk, the clerk yeah. and the bailiff is like, yeah. what did the kids get for Christmas? And she goes like, like really quickly while John's looking away, like he got a watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's cute. Yeah. God, I, love, I love that character so much. Yeah. Um, oh, something they say in the trial where everyone shouts Bluebeard at Harry Powell and makes me wonder if this is the best slash only Bluebeard adaptation <laughs> in cinematic history we've gotten. That's a weirdly <laughs> classical story that we really haven't gotten adaptation Yeah, I don't know of any other. I'm sure there have been others, but none that I yeah. can think of. There's only two I can think of. One is a staged opera filmed by Michael Powell. Yeah, which isn't out um, yet. Um or, or it, I think you can find rips of it online because I know people have seen it. Um, uh, the um, Film Foundation is trying to restore; they're restoring yeah. it now. And ho- hopefully, I mean, the stills I've seen look beautiful, um, and it, it's the Archers. So, um, and the only other movie that I can think of, like, is a, that is a real big Bluebeard reference, is a uh, Cure, the Kurosawa, the Kurosawa movie. Mm-hmm. Um. um I'm, I'm looking on Wikipedia. It says that uh, Gaslight, Rebecca, and Suspicion are all um, mm. variants of it. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. Um, I just think we need a good Bluebeard adaptation. Let's do it. This is saying Ex, Ex Machina. Oh, that's like a sci-fi Bluebeard? I, I like that. I think that's interesting. Apparently his company's called Blue Book. I don't remember that. Oh. Interesting. That's cool. Um, but yeah, we start to see like the mob justice where Icy, who was the biggest supporter of uh, mm-hmm. Reverend Harry Powell, as soon as she realizes he's a bad guy, it goes from... It, it, it turns into something that's absolutely crazy where she's like... What are you looking at, Nick? Uh, I was looking to see if I had a certain movie on my shelf. Um, yeah, she's like... <laughs> I love it when you do that. I'm in my own, like, I spaced out for a second. But no, I was, I, I was listening, though. Yeah, she, she, she's like, has to go from one extreme to the other where mm-hmm. she thinks that, she thinks, like, Harry Powell's the best person. And even when this person that she's known, presumably for a long time, goes missing, she believes that uh, instead of this dude who she's known for a week... Uh, did something wrong. She thinks that Willa did something wrong. And then once she's finally proven to be incorrect, she's like full on like, no, well, I mean, no, she, I'm gonna, she I'm just wants to be lynch. seen as on the right side of everything. I'm gonna and she wants to be seen job. as the righteous figure and leads to her to being like pretty damn cruel in how she treats other people. She kind of um, sucks. Like, let's, she sucks <laughs> so <laughs> much. I hate More her. than kind of, yeah. Second only to Harry, maybe. Yeah, she sucks <laughs> less than Harry Powell. Less does. than Harry. Yeah, <laughs> I think we can we can agree on that. Um, they do the uh, 
I like the Christmas gift to her is an apple, which is like, you know, big representation of innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, lost and found mm-hmm. in also, cinematic history. But it was like an apple that she already had in her house. Like, <laughs> Look, <laughs> these are little, little kids. Water. Like, what are they going to do to give Step a Christmas up. gift to someone? Has yeah, Evie or Noah ever given you a Christmas gift? Not one that I already had in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> they start doing, I don't know if they still do this. I, mean, I remember when I was a kid in school, they would have like little, like they'd bring in a little like gift shop uh, around. What? I never got to do that. Yeah, it was kind of like a book That's fair. Awesome. It was kind of like when the book fair would come, but it would it would have like gifts you could buy your parents. Granted, you would still it be like get, soaps or you stuff? You still had to like get money from them. Yeah. yeah. I don't, don't know. I don't like, think our kids' schools do that. I don't I, remember us. I don't, I don't remember us ever doing I got, that. like, a little, like, toy globe for my dad for his office because, like, you know, you think of, like, dads should have little globes in their office. <laughs> like, it's, like, really chintzy stuff, you know? Um, <laughs> but I, I just do remember that being one of the only places where it's, like, as a little kid, you could buy a gift and you're, you know, actually surprise your parents with it, even though it was probably just, like, you know, some $5, like... Yeah, <laughs> ninety nine cents to a really uh, level of quality, but yeah, otherwise that's it's tough for kids to pull off. Mm-hmm. I guess they can like um, draw, you know, they can like draw you a picture. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've, I've like. I've got a framed drawing that Evie drew of me and her. I want a kid to draw a work and like at some point in my life that would be the, the, the highest moment of my 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 whole life. So Evie drew a picture of you and you're working, right? It's you're working at your desk? It's me working, her, like, underneath my desk, and then she invented a creature called Gutbees. Have we talked about this on the show? I know I, <laughs> I, don't, know I posted I, about it on Gut the show. I know I've seen the picture. Gutbees? They kind of look sort of like Pac-Man ghosts. They do. Uh, oh, yeah. And she just likes to draw a bunch of them dead. I think one of them is in the toilet. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's, she's, she's got a sense of the macabre. Yeah. Um, Here are some yeah. dead Gutbees. Here's a gut being in the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> Here's me and her working. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when I said like I wonder how like kids are gonna grow up to be when they're yeah when they're a little I'm like what, what's what's gonna happen when you're older yeah. and yeah yeah she's gonna I be, am so curious about Evie she's gonna be a little weird one that's cool <laughs> no she's gonna be the awesomest that's what you want that is what you want she's gonna take the world by storm. Uh, and now we end with what is basically another thing referenced by the Cohen brothers, mm-hmm. but uh, that's sort of a monologue from Gish where they she says like they abide this dude abides. the children yeah yeah and that they they've said that's a direct uh, quote yeah. to Night of the Hunter correct yeah I believe I believe so at least it's been reported I don't know if that where that came from originally but the dude abides and he endures yeah <laughs> much like children uh, yeah. Um, I think Night of the Hunter must be, like, one of the Coen Brothers' favorite movies, then. So, I don't know that they got a vote in the the old version of... This is, like, almost out of date. We're gonna have a brand new uh, sight and sound. Did Night of the Hunter not get a vote? Not by them that I see. I don't know if they got a vote. Night of the Hunter was 63rd on the critics' poll, 26th on the director's poll. I don't recognize any of the critics' name um, at a brief glance, but a lot of directors... A lot who have stuff out, uh, like this year or last year. Good directors, like really good directors. Terrence Davies, Andrew Dominic, both of the McDonough Bros, Simon mm-hmm. Liang, Samantha Morton, Peter Strickland. Those are some big wow. names. But I don't, I don't. Yon Troll. I don't know that I've seen the Coens um, 
on any of these, so they may not have a vote. I'm, I'm gonna look up all voters now. Um, who's the best director from those? Andrew Dominic. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'd say it's either Cy or Davies, probably. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I would probably say Davies. Have you guys seen any of the Jan Troel movies? I don't think so. Let me look. And also, you said... um. No, I haven't. You said Peter Strickland was one. I haven't seen any of Peter Strickland movies. I haven't seen any of Peter Strickland's movies, but based on what I know about them, that really tracks that this would be a big <laughs> influence. He makes, he makes, like, very weird, heightened movies. Um, it so that looks like tracks. the Cohen boys did not vote in that poll. All right. Come on, guys. Come on. Um, yeah, I think I've only yeah. seen one Peter Strickland, Duke of Burgundy, which is a cool movie. The the lesbian lepidopterist movie? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I still like, I still want to get to Flux Gourmet. I, I heard good things about Flux Gourmet, but I, I don't like gross things. And I think that movie has a lot of gross-out stuff in it, and so I have. Jenna, uh, you you watch some of the grossest movies. Yeah, you watch I've a lot of. What are you talking like, about? You watch, I don't you like, watch horror movies like every day of your life. I don't like <laughs> food gross things, like gagging kind of. That movie mm. does like gross things with food. You're not like, gonna watch Bones and all. Um, I'm sure that'd be great for me. I yeah. Um, I, I still haven't been able to finish that book, Bones and All. I'm trying. I'm, I'm going to see the movie, um, but I'm a little anxious about it because I had to put the book down. Cause, uh, Too many bones. Gross. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of bones. The thing about, you know why it's called Bones and All? Because... That's what they eat? They, they, bones and All. The whole, like... That's I hope what so. With that, that well, title. <laughs> <laughs> that's just one of the things that is interesting to me. Oh, this is a wild tangent. Is that, like, Bones and All is kind of fantastical in that way. Because like they're not, they're not supernatural creatures per se, but it's just sort of like, anyway. And then she ate him, and all that was left was this one piece of jewelry. And you're like, she just ate him, his whole with the bones. Okay, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty gross. But um, yeah, no, I um, you know, I watched all those Fulci movies. Although some of that I had to look away from. Oh, like, Nick, did you ever get to the Fulci movies? No, no. Oh, I've just been watching uh, Roger Corman movies. <laughs> To Roger be fair, Corman like X Files episodes, yeah. like that might be the best thing to ever do in your life is watch yeah. X Files and Roger Corman. Oh, that, but you oh, gotta watch those four movies. The best X Files episode, the cockroach one. Speaking as speaking of bug stuff, see that's my problem. Yeah. And I need to watch X Files. I need to catch up on X-Files this stuff. X Files is great. I mean, mm. at least like the first six seasons. Then yeah. then you can decide. <laughs> oh, oh just the there. first six. Yeah. Just the first, just first six. six. You don't need to go up through, like, reboot season 13 or wherever the hell they ended up. But. Wait, There's not wait, 13 whoa. seasons of The X-Files, is there? I think it's 11 I... and 3 movies. Oh, Somewhere. Lord have mercy. Yeah. There's a lot. The first movie is good. I like, I like that first That's movie. That's the only one I've seen. I haven't seen yeah. the other ones. I haven't heard good things. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, so you guys want to rate? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right. Out of four... Nick. Four. Jana. Four. Me. Four. It's a good one. Uh, great one. Great movie. All right. Do you guys have any Ebert quotes that you wanted to discuss? The quote that I had pulled up we already talked about, which was just... Oh, that's right. That's right. Lanchester and Lawton both remember that Mitchum was invaluable as help in working with the two <laughs> children. 
Humlaw and could not stand. <laughs> just yeah. Can't see that at all. So funny. Um, I got one that's kind of long, but I think is worth it. Mm-hmm. The shot of Winters at the bottom of the river is one of several remarkable images in the movie, which was photographed in black and white by Stanley Cortez, who shot Wolves as the Magnificent Amersons, which we didn't mention that, but yeah. it's pretty obvious that this was like the same guy who filmed the Magnificent Amersons, because just how great the shadowing and blocking is, is it's only to the level of Magnificent Amersons. And once observed, he was always chosen to shoot weird things. He shot fewer, few weirder than here where one frightening composition shows a street lamp casting Mitchum's terrifying shadow on the walls of the children's bedroom. Great shot that was. Mm-hmm. The basement sequence combines terror and humor, as well as, as when the preacher tries to chase the children up the stairs, only to trip, fall, recover, lunge, and catch his fingers in the door. And the masterful nighttime river sequence uses giant foregrounds of natural details like frogs and spiderwebs to underline a kind of biblical progression as the children drift to eventual safety. That's about as much as I think anyone could ever say about this movie. It's pretty mm-hmm. tight it's great Talk, talking about how it looks and how it feels and why these choices were done um it's hilarious to me that this movie was sort of like eh this movie is nothing to the critics and then it took like 20 years for like it to become a b movie a like a cult b movie like a rocky horror picture show sort of thing mm-hmm. only like 40 50 years later to finally be like oh yeah this movie that's obviously to me now like one of the best movies ever made is just one of the best movies ever made. Yep. And I really hope this is what happens with, like, Deja Vu. So, we can keep our fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> that would that would be very funny. Jana, you love Deja Vu. I did, I did love Deja Vu. We, we need to get Deja Vu to Night of the Hunter levels of respectability. <laughs> I support your efforts to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Jana, did you have a quote? Um, yeah, it's also long. Um, It's a really good essay. From towards the beginning of the essay where he says, Yet what a compelling, frightening, and beautiful film it is, and how well it has survived its period. Many films from the mid-1950s, even the good ones, seem somewhat dated now. But by setting his story in an invented movie world outside of conventional realism, Lawton gave it a timelessness. Yes, the movie takes place in a small town on the banks of a river, but the town looks as artificial as a Christmas card scene. The family's house with its strange angles inside and out looks too small to live in, and the river becomes a set so obviously artificial it could have been built for a completely stylized studio film like Quite On. So I think that was just an interesting uh, Quite On. Yeah. But no, it's true. I mean, I think, and I think that's what stuck out about it. Like that, so that's the one thing about it that surprised me since I knew largely what the plot was, was that it is just this hyper-stylized film that Gorgeous. feels like it takes place slightly outside of reality yeah yep all right so i tried to set this up so we could kind of like overlap with stuff we'd seen together um so nick you start first and can you end with ruggles yes uh so i watched cool. two more of the uh poe corman vincent price movies the raven <laughs> you are unstoppable man uh the raven which is the one in which uh jack nicholson plays peter laurie's son and Vincent Price has a magic duel with Boris Karloff. It is... Uh, have you guys ever read The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe? It's a famous poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Sounds exactly like what happens in The Raven. Yeah, yeah. it pretty much is uh, not. It, uh, <laughs> Vincent Price uh, reads like a couple lines from The Raven. I think he ends by saying nevermore. Okay. Uh, there's a character named Lenore in it. There's okay. a There's a raven in it. 
It's Peter Lorre. That's all you need. It's Peter Lorre. He has a curse on him. Uh, ah, okay. v- Dope. Very much not like. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it wasn't a great movie, but um, it was interesting just because of those people were. Do in you it. think uh, Edgar Allan Poe would be happy with this rendition of his book? No. Uh, or his poem? <laughs> no. No. And the other one is. Uh, called the haunted palace which is another vincent price movie about uh, a guy who becomes possessed by his uh warlock great great grandfather who was murdered by the people in this town um also not really based on a poe story um i think it pulled a little bit from a very short poe poem but really the story is based on an hp lovecraft story so oh, wow so they're getting like real real loose with uh being Poe inspired, which uh, he made a triptych movie of three. I don't know why he felt the need to uh, fudge the numbers <laughs> with these ones. Um, so those were the those were the scary. Oh no, no, no. I, I watched one other scary movie this week. Uh, we we watched Dawn of the Dead, the uh, the original one, um, the newish uh, Second Sight release of it, which looks mm-hmm. f- fucking fantastic. Um, nice. I haven't seen this in a really long time. I think since I was in like high school, but it uh, it holds up really well. It's scary. It's funny. It's um, got a lot to say. Nellie uh, had never seen it before, and she liked it. Such a good movie. Uh, we watched Ambulance, which I had seen before. <laughs> oh, you really did rewatch yeah, Ambulance? Yeah, yeah. Nell- Nellie hadn't yeah, seen yeah. it. Uh, oh, so, I yeah, didn't know. This. We re- we rewatched it. Uh, the dumbest movie I've ever seen. It's great. <laughs> Um, I watched three uh, short docs uh, in the '80s. There was um, like kind of an underground doc that was pa- it was like the sort of thing that was passed around like VHS tapes called Heavy Metal Parking Lot, mm-hmm. and it's like a 16 minute Whoa. thing, and it's yeah. just it's just like people hanging out outside of a Judas Priest concert, and it's like people being fucked up and like shouting about metal and talking about judas priest and why they like metal and why they hate other music and <laughs> it's just kind of gri- grimy people vibes we love grimy vibes so then the people who made that made some other docs uh i watched one of them which is called neil diamond parking lot uh, which all is right. the, all parking lots which is the same thing only but at a Neil Diamond concert? <laughs> only at a Neil Diamond concert. Uh, that four, sounds awesome. Uh, more uh, more sober people. The demographic is a little <laughs> bit more uh, female-based and a little bit older. Um, far less uh, mullets. A lot less, like, <laughs> okay. waifish, shirtless dudes. Um, that one, like, on its own would not be interesting at all, but it's kind of funny to see that back-to-back with Heavy Metal Parking Lot. <laughs> And then sure. uh, they also made one called Heavy Metal Basement, which I thought was like kind of, a, <laughs> it was a slog. It's just like a guy talking about his record collection. <laughs> okay. Um, this weekend I watched um, a new, uh, Nelly and I went out to the theaters. So I watched a uh, critically lauded new release that features an in-depth discussion of Gustav Mahler and features a portion of Gustav Mahler's Fifth Symphony. Mm-hmm. Which one? The decision to leave. Hey! Uh, this movie was awesome. Wasn't your thing. That is, it is just so much my type of movie. It's very... Uh, you have a great letterbox review of why it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my lengthy letterbox review. I was proud of that review. <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's very uh, Vertigo-esque um, in a way that feels timeless, but also the movie is so like tied to modern technology that it's also like it has to take place when it does. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I, I thought it was just a blast. It's really funny too. I was surprised by how funny it is. Like there's a scene with a, a motorcycle accident involving turtles. <laughs> there is. <laughs> that the crowd was like losing their shit, and yeah. it is amidst like just terrible things happening. Uh, <laughs> oh god, that's so it's so funny. Yeah, our crowd died at that as well. Yeah, great stuff. This is what I need from movies. I am. I just need this movie to come out yeah. where I live. <sighs> it's expanding. I'm not sure what. No, it's, it's gotten to but. Santa Fe, and I'm trying to decide. Do I want to go up to Santa Fe, or do I need to wait a month to see it in Albuquerque? I wonder when it's going to come to... Like, movie is the one who's releasing it. I don't know if they're going to... Yeah. Do I do not want to see this on movie. I, yeah. I love you, movie. I need to see this one in the theater, like, badly. It looks yeah. great. It does look great. Oh, my God. The trailer just looks so good. I really yeah. want to get some very fancy sushi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's some beautiful sushi in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I rewatched Ruggles of Red Gap, which uh, I'd watched earlier this year. Um, I think it's oh, okay. fantastic. Uh, Dylan, you had seen it for the first time. First time this week. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I thought it was a musical. Uh, I, I don't know what gave me that impression, but they sing a little, but it's not like a musical musical. Um, it's... Uh, kind of reminded me of something like The Long Grey Line, or um, It's a Wonderful Life. I'm trying to think of good representations. It's just like a really good comedy about like someone trying to like live Make in a new situation. World. Yeah, exactly. And um, there's so many great ones. I always go back to the part where he kicks the guy in the butt, mm-hmm. which and this is one of my new all-time favorite performances, I think, is Charles Lawton in this movie, because he is just so, like you said, demure. Just his facial reactions, just mm, okay. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so sweet. Um, and like when the 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 rich woman says just the stupidest shit to him, like he says something like, "Oh my in, god!" Indubitably, she goes, "Oh, you speak beautiful French," and he just gives this like <laughs> this face. Of, but like, then I love when he turns it on. He just like speaks to Gettysburg Address in full in the bar. There's some. Uh, not entirely good um, American exceptionalism points brought up in this movie. Yeah. But I, I don't think the movie falters because of them. It's just the part where he's like, you're not my servant anymore. We're all from America where we're all equals. And it's like, okay. Not, not the most correct, but okay. Um, yeah, it's just really good. It's really, a, really good. It's really funny, and um, I think the end of it, if uh, you want to be cynical, it's like an incredibly cheesy ending, but uh, I am apparently... Oh, screw that. I'm apparently not that cynical, because it uh, works for me. I remember when we did our director's draft on our first episode, and for the 30s, I picked Leo McCary. I feel really good about that pick, um, watching Ruggles, and 
um, every movie he has is like a, a tearjerker in some sorts. Like it, it, it's kind of like the reverse of Make Way to for Tomorrow, where it's like it could make a stone cry, but just out of happiness instead of out of sadness. Like mm-hmm. Make Way for Tomorrow, and then of course Duck Soup, you cry because it's just the funniest movie ever. Everyone agrees. I think this is funnier. Mm. <sighs> anyway, so. I have I've kind of grouped my movies that I watched this week into classic movies I watched this week, horror movies I watched this week, and new releases. So, Ruggles of Red Gap is the first class movie. I watched a movie called Wait Till the Sun Shines, Nelly, which I want you to show uh, your wife, Mike. My Nelly? Yeah. Yeah. Your Nelly. Spelled differently, though. I was going to say, do they spell um, it with two L's? Two L's and an I-E. Ugh. <laughs> I know. That's the way she always gets it, like, uh, when she gets a coffee at starbucks or oh, yeah sure. it's like a takeout yeah. and they, they spell it n-e-l-l-i-e yeah, um, yeah. Nelly Bly but style. uh this is another movie that um maybe i just had long gray light on my mind because this, this movie reminds me a lot of long gray line um uh, uh sort of about a guy he marries someone named nelly um they kind of start a family he, Who he has a barber shop yeah <laughs> you know from what experience all <laughs> about that all these people named nelly um and yeah, it's it's just sort of about like someone trying to make it. There's some really funny moments. There's some really tragic moments, um, and it culminates into something really, really beautiful. And I absolutely adored it. It's by Henry King. Have you guys seen any Henry King movies? Uh, I've only recently discovered this guy, and I need to watch more because he seems awesome. Yeah, The Gunfighter is really good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's his most popular movie on Letterboxd, at least. Yeah, it has a Criterion release, so uh, that. Oh, I'm going to buy that. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's uh, Gregory Peck. Um, There's like 10 directors at this point that if like Criterion has a movie from them and I've never seen it or even heard of it, I'm just like, yeah, I'd buy that. Like, I, I trust that guy a lot. Henry King is, is becoming one of those guys. I watched an 80s uh, romantic drama from India called Ijazat. Ijaz... Ijazat or something. Um which basically means promise. It's really good romantic triangle movie. It's about two people that get married. He's still sort of in love with someone else. Um, something kind of tragic happens with them, and they sort of spark up a friendship instead of trying to continue a romance, but the other one gets kind of jealous, and there's these um, things of confusion and these moments of like trying to capture someone else, and then they don't understand what's going on. Um, but it's around this frame story where it's like five or six years after these two people that got married at the beginning divorce, they meet up in a train station and they just sort of like talk about like what happened in the moment back then they couldn't really like communicate or figure out what was going on with each other. And so they're sort of telling each other the story of what actually happened and it's quite beautiful and Nick, you'll be happy to hear it ends on a freeze frame shot. So like that, (laughs) (laughs) Nick's just like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, um. It's what we like to see. It's it's really just what we want to see. The last classic movie I watched was called Wind Across the Everglades. Either of you guys heard of this movie? It's a Nick Ray film. I've been to the This Everglades. is one movie... You have been. Yeah, does that count? Yeah, it does. Um, did you like the Everglades? Yeah, it's cool. Seems miserable. Um, Wind Across the Everglades is a movie that I've had my eye on for a long time. I finally saw that it showed up uh, on, in full, terrible rip quality on YouTube. It's kind of hard to find. Um, it stars Christopher Plummer as an ornithologist bird watcher who wanders into the Everglades and encounters a bird poacher family ran by Burl Ives, and it becomes a war between him, 
trying to stop him from killing birds and Burl Ives basically trying to stop him from stopping him. And uh, I think if anyone could have tried to written a movie that's specifically directed towards me, it's a bird-watching thriller with hot Christopher Plummer and Burl Ives in the Everglades. Like, directed by Nick Wright. Like, that's that's right up my alley. And guess what? It was a five-star. Like, perfectly loved that movie. So I watched three horror movies. The first one I watched was a very early Shaw Brothers movie called The Enchanting Shadow. I'm going to turn to Nick. I haven't seen it. I was hoping you would have. Because um, you like a lot of Shaw Brothers movies, right? Um, I mean, the ones I've seen, I'm not, like, uh, an expert. I, I think I would probably need to watch maybe 100 or 200 more of their movies to be considered a, an yeah, expert. Yeah, and that's but, about, like, yeah. uh, 5% of their total right, at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Enchanting Shadow is a Hong Kong movie um, directed by this guy named Lee Han Sheng. Um, and... It's sort of about it. it, It's um, almost like that story in Quiet On, where the guy kind of drifts into a place where um, there's spirits living there. We like slowly sort of realize how these like spirits live. It's kind of like a blood sucking ghost vampire movie. Um, It's really funny. The colors look like Archer quality. It's it's awesome. Loved this movie. Watch, we're all going to the World Fair, so now I'll turn to Jana uh, for that one, because she was the one that was really, like, hype. Oh, Jana, you're muted. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it at that moment. No, sorry. I had to type something, and I didn't want to have typing on a, on mic. Um, That's yes, fair. We're all going to the yeah, World so Fair. I've, I've, been, I've been excited I, I about this one for, like, a year. This one came out at, like, Sundance last, last year, year, if yeah, I remember correctly. It only got released this year, yes, though, right? Yes, it's a 20—yeah, it, it, it played Sundance 2021, like, got really pretty— impressive reactions and then it didn't actually it got released. kind of mixed reactions if i remember correctly there were some people yeah. that were like this is the movie i guess the I critics i read all gave it really high <laughs> all like a lot i countered and both really and reviews, so i was so. kind of curious where it'd go i saw the trailer i was like mm, this seems interesting and then you saw it and you were like fucking hell this yeah. is the movie it's a weird one. i watched it it's really good it was so much better than i expected yeah. um the vibe of it was fantastic. I absolutely I mean, adored where the last act went because I did not see any of it coming. Yes. I think um, the last act is really what sold me on it too because yeah, yes. the way it ends is so surprising that um, there yeah. was this weird part in the middle where you start seeing other people's World Fair videos, mm-hmm. and that's where I was like, "This is the movie I was worried I would be getting into." Yeah. Kind of it's commenting a, on that and right. making fun of that kind of movie. Yeah, that. That section, though, actually... That, like, it's, so I spent, the way it's used in the movie is really good. I, I just thought that's what the movie would be. Right. I spent more of this movie, like, being stressed out that it was going to scare me than it actually scaring me. You know what I mean? It's true. It kind of... It, you're talking about it's the It's more of a drama to me. Yeah, and it has... Like... So, like, yeah, there's this... There's a few scenes... It's a few sections where it's showing everybody's World Fair videos, and, and it's like you're watching them, right? So it's like you're watching the video, and then it, like, goes to the loading screen, and then you're watching the next video. And I was just on the edge of my seat, because I was like, what horrifying thing are they going to... I, I spent the whole time so worried, like, something horrible was going to jump out at me. And, like, there's a few kind of upsetting images. Um, like the one where the guy pulls, like, tickets out of his arm? Yeah, that, even that, though. <laughs> I was just like, that to me, I was like, okay... That was funny. Yeah, but there's just there's a few kind of upsetting images, but otherwise, yeah, because it's it's more of a drama about loneliness than you know, it it has horror elements, but it's not it's not really a horror film, I don't think. But yeah, now these distinctions are are iffy. Yeah, 
I really liked it. But yeah, I recommend what it's on HBO f- Max, by the way. What is a Fallout horror movie was Malignant, which Ooh, I did watch. Mm. Uh, nice. That you movie rocks. I did meet that Aww. movie rocks. That you. movie goes so hard. I is Gabriel a Bronco Henry? A hundred percent. All right. We might as well rename the Bronco Henry Award to the Gabriel <laughs> Award at this point. I that was one of the most exciting like movie watching experiences I can think of any movie yeah. in the last few years. Where it's just like, especially when you get to that turn, you're like, oh, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, I like it. By the time you're in the back, I mean. I, it's it's been talked about so much since it's been out for quite some time now. But you know, the obviously the big fight scene in the jail cell oh is God, unbelievable. Um, all just the weird wacko stuff, like the the one scene when the the sister pulls up at the um, what you call it the like institution thing that she's going to visit, and for some reason mm-hmm. pulls up her car and just parks on like the edge of this huge <laughs> cliff. Like speaking of movies that don't really exist in the real world. Like, well, no, that, that's kind of why I liked Malignant. Yeah. Malignant kept on going to this territory where I thought it would be, like, a, as a derogatory term, like, elevated horror right, movie. Right, a movie about drama. It would try trauma. to be, like, we're going to do drama and messages, yeah. and we're going to really force it into you. But then it's like, nah, no, 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 we're just going to have fun. James yeah. Wan shoots these overhead shots of them walking between, running between hallways and stuff and houses. I was like, oh, my God. I, oh, it made me so happy to watch that movie. Oh, the movies, guys. And then the 2022 movies I watched this week was Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which was very good. Um, I didn't realize how COVID-restricted it would be. It's yeah. incredibly, like, it's, it's like a play, basically. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but it, it was really good. Uh, Emma Thompson is just the GOAT. Um, I can't remember the guy's name now, but uh, he's he, he's really going to go places. Between this and the, the show Bad Sisters that I watched with my parents, I'm like, he's... He's going to be a star, I think. Um, and lastly, and now we can rope in Jana here, Tar. Tar. I feel like we don't want to talk too much about Tar. Nick hasn't no. seen it. People haven't seen it. Um, you guys can't talk too much about Decision to Leave with me, and right. I can't talk about too much with Tar with yeah. Nick around. I will say, I mean, what I'll say is, because you know I told you, like, I was, bef- I didn't, I didn't see it until this weekend, which, like, for me, I, like, that's like three weeks after it started playing you, in LA. You, you were like behind. So on I know. This so movie. I felt like a, a, I was, compared to your usual schedule. Yeah. Well, a three-hour-long movie that we never saw a single trailer for it or anything. So Matt was like, didn't want to go. You know, he was just like, what? Some three-hour movie about a conductor? Like, what? we have other things to do. And to be fair, his priorities were seeing. Didn't he dress up as a conductor last year for Halloween? I can't remember what he dressed up as for Halloween last year. If Nick knows this, then Janet doesn't. Yes, he did. Yeah, he dressed up as the conductor from um, Annette. That's correct. Um, Oh, yes. If I told told him it was about that conductor, we would have been there uh, day one. No, to his credit, his priorities were seeing Decision to Leave and Banshees of Inish Aaron. So, you know, we we were seeing some good movies. But I feel like everyone on my timeline now is just Tar, Banshees, Decision to Leave, and Triangle of Sadness. It's just like everyone's like, those movies are here. He also, he the also movies really are good wants again. to see Triangle of Sadness. He would have rather have seen that before Tar as well, but eventually I was like, we have to see Tar. <laughs> like, I have to, like, make this... And then <laughs> he freaking loved it. So, of course. like, yeah, but... Um, That's yeah. a weird movie where I feel like everyone I talk to right now, like, every... Like, my mom, like, just mm-hmm. people around are just like, oh, I can't wait to see Tar. And I'm like, do you I know am, what it's about? I am not and then shockingly, Tar to my parents, no. So many people that come out of that movie that I wouldn't expect to love it are just like, 
yeah, that was a great time. <laughs> just like, this is crazy. Yeah. It was funny. You know, so we went and saw it on a matinee yesterday, and this was my first time going. To, uh, so we, we used to do a lot of Saturday matinees at the old Art House Theater before they closed it down. And it was always us being the youngest people in the theater by, like, easily 30 years. Um, and... Like this was my first time back with that crowd. These 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 folks have found the art house movies that now play at the AMC uh, in West LA instead of the the shut down art house theater. So it was just very funny. I mean, there was like just like the, the oldest people in the world were there to see Tar, and we always just assume that like they're industry people, that they're you know mm-hmm. they're they're guild old guild retired guild members or academy type folks or whatever, because a lot of them seemed very unhappy to be watching Tar. Interesting. I didn't notice anybody walk out, but I, there was a lot of like, hmm, 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 at various oh, parts. Oh, no. I just, I haven't had that experience with anyone. I just keep on getting good reactions. Well, sit in a theater that's about one third full noon on a Saturday where everybody is 85 years old. And uh, you're probably going to get some <laughs> some of that. But we were super into it. Um, yeah. And I think, like I said, I was just getting burned out because it is, it's getting so is it getting so hyped and memed, like we were sort of talking about, you know, yeah. with like Power of the Dog and stuff, that I was a little bit like, okay, movie, like, show me what you got, because everyone won't shut the frick up about this movie, but it, <laughs> it's that good, annoyingly. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was, like, prepared to be contrarian. I was prepared You kind of were. I was. I was, like, really prepared to be contrarian. I'm like, a three-hour-long movie that's about, like... And it's not about cancel culture that's super reductive. It's um, such a reductive form version of this movie. I will say, um, I looked... It's an hour and 40 minutes in, and there's an hour left to go of the movie at that point before anyone even says the phrase, like, accusations. Like, so do not think you're going to be going in and just being like, boom, you know, me too, but what if a lady? Like, Uh it's, that's, it's not, it's about that, but it's not about that at all, so... That's just part of it. It's a puzzle piece of it. Um, People just need to check it out. Yeah, so no, when you when you walked out of the theater and just texted us like, yeah, Tar's good. good. I, mean, I, I literally felt like I was like running through my house, it's, like, oh my god, yes. It's a good movie, yeah. It's it's quite something. Um, yeah, people should check it out. And I think it would play, so I'm excited to watch it again at home, um, if only so I don't have a guy over my shoulder who's talking to himself out loud throughout the entire movie. Oh. Um, yeah, just a lot of like... I swear to God, it was like maybe he'd never seen a movie before. Like, it would be like a shot of a car driving down the road, and he went, wow. And I was like, Have you, is this like a train coming into the station thing? Do you not know how moving pictures work? Uh, and I think he was... I, he had, like, the people I saw with, I was like a couple seats away from these, like, two girls that were probably college-aged. Mm-hmm. Um and they were like, yes, a couple points. Some, that was as bad as I got, but like... There were some young people in my theater who were watching very... Uh, quietly and appropriately it's it was those the old folks who were chatting it up um but yeah I, like i said i don't we will definitely talk about it in great detail sometime down the road but um i can't wait to see how nick reacts to how they do the opening credits because i know how much nick loves to react to does it happen interesting opening does it credits. happen an hour and a half into the movie i'm not gonna tell you You'll what see. happens but when it happened i was like no fucking way <laughs> yeah yeah, and then uh, yeah, you, you, something you can't even sort of even really talk about until the movie actually ends either, because then it, it impacts how the movie ends, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 
good movie. People should check it out. It is two hours and 48 minutes long, so, you know. 38. 38. Oh, 38. Sorry, sorry. Two hours and 38 yeah, minutes Yeah, huge difference, but... <laughs> I will say I didn't get I didn't leave I didn't get up like I, I oh my god I I was glued Dri- to my drive, seat drive my car style it was a you know almost three hour long movie that I didn't feel bored during so take that the Batman when the third act started I started to wonder if it was the first act into the first act or second act yeah it goes uh, it, it goes, goes quick through. yeah um, but yeah so should I talk about the rest of my stuff? Go on. I just realized I actually got to go in like five minutes. Um, oh, shit. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Well, it's just we've been going for over two hours at this point. So oh, I my God. We have? Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't, this, is the, this is the tar of podcasts. That's why I wasn't. I didn't, even, I didn't even say what time I had to leave because it didn't even occur to me. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So since we last talked, um, I did. Uh, yeah, Tar was my most interesting movie. Nothing. Everything else is either rewatches or just. Oh, no. There was one other new movie. Um, I did, like, a little double feature I made for myself of two, um, like, sort of, like, carnival haunted house uh, horror <laughs> movies. I watched Haunt from 2019, um, the, the Beck and Woods movie about people who go to a, a haunt, a haunted house, and things don't go well for them, as you might expect. Um, and then I watched George Romero's, the, not sorry, George Romero's, excuse me, Toby Hooper's The Fun House. Mm. Um, which is great. It, it's really fun. It's on Criterion as part of that 80s horror. It's also on Peacock. Um, oh, Janet, real quick. What is the movie with the owl? The movie with the There's owl. a guy dressed up as an owl. It's a horror oh, movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, um, you recommended that last year. I was trying to put it on my list. I did. It's um, called Aquarius. Aquarius, okay. Yeah. It has, like, it has two... Thank you. When you were talking about Funhouse and uh, yes, yeah. stuff, I, I was um, like, oh yeah, I meant to ask Jan about the owl movie. Hold on. Let me tell you. It's also called State. It's called like Stage Fright Aquarius. So okay. you, you might actually find it under State. Yeah, you might, probably might find it. I think it's like an American, European title thing. So There it is. I got then, it. Okay. Yeah. That movie, <laughs> that movie is so good. Um, but I also recommend Toby Hooper's, uh, the fun house, as I told you Mm -hmm. offline, it's no Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's got the same aesthetic, same, you know, sensibility. So you can, you can see the Toby Hooper of it all. Um, I finally watched Pearl, the, uh, Ty West Mm -hmm. movie, the ex prequel. I liked it quite a bit. I liked it more than I was expecting to. Um, Marty's favorite movie of the year. It really grew on me. I know it really grew on me while I was watching it. Uh, Mia Goth is as unbelievable as everybody says. Um, and for a movie that was also like a big time COVID movie, doesn't really feel like it. Mm. Um, God, she's so good in that movie. It is that just deranged in the best way. So I still think <laughs> I, I just like, keep seeing that clip where she's like, I'm a star. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that for like two hours, but not, but less annoying than you would think. So <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I still think I like X a little bit better, but that's cause I really love X. And so they're both mm. good. Um, I watched Hocus Pocus too. Yeah, it was fine. My friends really liked it, so that was nice. Um, Cute, but it's not much of anything. Um, <laughs> I rewatched. Harsh. Tri- I rewatched Trick or Treat, a uh, new Halloween classic. I then had a Halloween movie night, and we did a triple feature. Watched Scream, like we always do. Rewatched Barbarian with friends who got a real kick out of it. That's on HBO Max now as well. Um, and then watched Halloween Ends like the divisive movie of the past couple of months. Um, and man, I don't know what to make of that movie. It's so strange. I alternately hated it and really enjoyed it. And I kind of landed in the middle somehow. I get why people hate it. I get why people love it. It is 
Hey, John Carpenter seemed to love it, and that, that's a good sign it's for me. It's so weird. I think he liked it. I'm sure he liked that they did something different. So Sure. It's it's worth the watch. Uh, yeah, and so that was it for this week. I've watched so many movies in, like, the past six days. I'm probably going to slow down for a bit here now that Halloween's over, but, you know. It's not over yet. Well, I still got time to get the innocence in. That's true. Yeah, I got to watch them tonight, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, that was it. A lot of movies. Good stuff. We had a good movie weeks. All of us did. Yeah. Marcus Stroman is going uh, Kyrie Irving online right now. No. Oh, no. Oh, no, I like that, him. That's why I've been uh, staring blankly. I, I could tell you were like reading something, but I was like, he'll tell us if it's important. Oh, buddy. Oh, boy. Man. By the way, that he's, could mean I guess so he's, many things. He's, I'm afraid to ask which one. You know, complaining about people controlling the media. He's he okay, hasn't okay. he hasn't, he hasn't dropped. Is it about any, a certain kind of people controlling the media? He hasn't he hasn't dropped. Uh, okay. Any he, he, yet. Okay. I think he's clever enough to be a, a little bit vague, but uh, just hitting all the tropes. Oh, be conscious of the world and who is controlling the narrative. Yeah, hitting all the tropes. Media controls it. That's it. Media controls all. Oh my god, what, why is he melting down? Buddy, what are you doing? Ay, ay, ay. Um, well, that's great. Um, yeah. Anyways, on that note. On that note, uh, next time we're going to talk about Nosferatu, and that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Um, i got to figure out how I'm going to get to the theater to see both After Sun and Armageddon Time. That's what's on my movie-watching to-do list. But Are you hyped for After Sun? You're going alphabetically. After Sun, Armageddon I'm, Time, and then you'll get to... I'm, to you skip I'm, you, you, Banshee's Vinisher. I, I know, uh, went out of order. Um, I'm super hyped for After Sun. I've heard... Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think I've heard you talk about that, but that phenomenal. seems like a very Janna movie. Yeah, I'm worried it's going to stray. I know a lot of movies that I love are just like these like intensely emotional like parent-child movies, but the prospect of watching it is stressing me out in advance, but I'm sure it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on the list, so. Anyway, next week, Nosferatu. Yep. Hopefully Find next us, week. yeah, next time you hear from us. Find us online at Twitter and Letterboxd, at Great Movies Pod. Pod. Our and Scott. art by Scott92. 92. Yep. With all underscores. Un- all uh, underscores. On Instagram. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. And that'll be all for this week. Roger out. Roger, Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.